This is British Wrestling Spotlight on the IndieCorner.com. I'm Ben. And I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And we're back with the WXW special. We're all fresh back from Oberhausen after a weekend away. It's kind of becoming our gimmick at this point, isn't it? I think there's mileage in a, in a weird weekend's wrestling podcast. Maybe we could uh, travel the globe, uh, hitting up different uh, different places. I mean, I never thought I'd, I'd find myself in, in Oberhausen, of all places in Germany, just outside of Dusseldorf. I don't know if you two guys have had the same thing since I've got home, trying to explain to people why exactly I was in Oberhausen and getting uh, strange looks back. I've had so little time since I've got home to do anything but work and go home and eat dinner and then go to <laughs> bed. So I've really not discussed it with anyone, unfortunately. I've come back feeling absolutely shattered <laughs> for the week. This is like the first day I feel vaguely human. It's taken me a good three, four days with an element of kind of sadness. I'm not there. Yeah. Um, I've kind of felt like I've had like a, a week long hangover. It's all been a bit of a malaise and I've been having withdrawal symptoms as well from, from WXW. I've been finding myself watching lots of the on demand as well this week to kind of, uh, mm. just kind of soothe my wounds a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was an incredible weekend. So we, we've got plenty to talk about. So we should probably get right into it. Um, JP, you arrived uh, one day before us last Thursday. You were uh, yeah. planning to to head out to the the Inner Circle show that kicked off the uh, WXW weekend. It was kind of the weekend's kind of like uh, WXW's WrestleMania weekend with lots of little shows throughout. So we're going to try and give you a flavour of the the different things that were going on and the different after parties and shows. But this first one, JP, uh, you can't really tell us too much about it, can you? No, no, I can't. I went to an Inner Circle event of my own. And um, it was called the Oberhausen Police Station. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't arrested. Um, I still have. I still feel incredibly dumb almost saying this, but I had my bag and my passport taken. Ugh. That was within about half an hour of arriving. I luckily had another bag with me with um, my wash stuff and various other bits and bobs. So I managed to survive the night until... Joe graciously came in and had to raid my uh, wardrobe in order to bring some clothes over with him for when he arrived the next day. Awful boxes. Uh, cheers. They've all been replaced. Yeah. The, um, the reserve boxes. The reserve boxes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can tell. But saggy middles. Cheers, like, mate. That's right. <laughs> um, I mean, a great first impression of Oberhausen then, Joe. It was. I was loving it at that point. Yeah, I was. Um, it had been an absolutely awful day. Ended up in a in a bar called the the Golden Bar, um, which was just full of like just assorted shifty characters, just <laughs> really big, angry looking but drunk men. Um, and then realised where it, well then realised it was basically around the corner from the brothel. Was prostitution is legalised in in Germany as well. Um, so <laughs> these were the clearly the guys who were either going to or from there. I'd gone in there so I could charge up my phone. Um, which sounds like a very suspect excuse when I say it like that. But um, Send a few cheaty texts to a few women of a night, maybe. I, I did not know. No. I, I did not. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, and that was right near where I was staying, so I didn't get to see any of the Inner Circle. I don't know if I'll ever go back and watch it whether I'm too scarred by that night <laughs> that, that perhaps watching the Inner Circle will be something I never get to do. Did, um, did you see any of these strange, strange prostitutes or strange people coming and going from that bar wearing a greasy jujitsu hoodie? Or? I, I will. There, there's someone. There is someone wandering <laughs> around Oberhausen with either a Shibata t-shirt on or a Matt, Matt Riddle Budweiser t-shirt around the place. And so next oh, time I get there, if you see me dart off chasing off someone in the street, <laughs> then that'll be why. <laughs> 
we were all kind of hoping I arrived the day after. I was thinking, oh, maybe we'll find your suitcase in a in a, in a park somewhere, abandoned nope. or something like that. In the most sick way possible, I was looking around a week and thinking, please, someone's head up in a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu hoodie, just to see what your reaction would have been. I just would have dropped whatever it was I was doing and just chased after them. German prison? I, I'd have risked it. I'd have risked it for that hoodie. It took ages to arrive, but that's another story for another time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was my first night in Overhouse, <laughs> and I wish I could tell you about the Inner Circle. It was the reason I'd come out on the Thursday. Um, didn't get to see that. Um, so, yeah, let's never speak of it again. <laughs> well, I arrived on the Friday the morning after, and I got to meet up with you, tried to lift your spirits, but I managed to... The weekend kind of carried on getting started started from a bad point as I got a 60 euro fine from a, a very angry uh, conductor on the bus. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's one of those Germany, isn't it? It's like you could go, I've been to Germany loads of times and I always buy a ticket on the buses and I bought one here. It just turned out to be the wrong bus and as we were stood there, weren't we, JP? All these, yep. all these plain clothes people started standing up and checking tickets and it turned out I think I'd, I'd bought... I thought I'd bought a return ticket and I got it stamped, but it wasn't. It was a, it was another single ticket that apparently I couldn't use. But the fine that they gave me, it got my name and date of birth right, but they got me address completely wrong. So I haven't had the fine in the post yet. Uh, I'm not sure if it's ever going to come, but I don't know. I'm a bit scared. Next time I go to Germany, if I don't pay it, then they're going to uh, knock me back at the border if I try and go to <laughs> later in the year or something like that. So did you give a fake address? No, no, he gave me a no. real address. He just didn't understand. Um, he put like to sandpipers course which is not my address and then instead of putting my postcode he just put the number 203 um so yeah, i guess i guess we'll see it's just yeah i don't i don't want to get there and i'll, I'll try and get in for, for tag league and they'll go yeah you're fine it's, it's gone to the courts and now it's 400 euros or something like that <laughs> come in without paying it so yeah i guess we'll see if any of our listeners have had the uh, experience dealing with a uh, german bus conductors he had no mercy whatsoever either no if you've had the experience dealing with them let me know what you uh, think our next step my next step should be uh but the, it, i mean it started a little bit sour but we uh, we got straight into it me and jp we went to the uh, media lunch that the xw have uh, very uh, graciously put on uh, for the likes of us mm. uh, patrick from wxw definitely deserves a shout out he took care of us and all the other foreigners uh, throughout the weekend really it was an incredibly professional setup, JP. I mean, I don't think oh, we, yeah. you wouldn't get treated like this in Brit Res. We had a lunch and then we went to the media center where we had a press conference with five of the wrestlers. It was just all unbelievably professional for, for an indie group, wasn't it? And anyone uh, who follows me on Twitter might have seen some of the uh, live streams, some of the interviews uh, on Periscope there. But yeah, incredible, wasn't it, JP? It was absolutely great. I mean, like you say, never been treated like that before. And it's... And you kind of think, I mean, you know, it's not a case of you don't ever get the impression of it's like sort of buttering you up. So you're not going to just so it's only going to be good, nice things. They were actually kind of very clear. Patrick was about, you know, you cover the show how you cover the show. Mm. Um, It was it was all but it all kind of symptomatic of the level of professionalism that goes throughout the company. Um, you know, when we arrived at the bar and we we speak, you know, see Ollie Corton on on Furious, Ian Hamilton, um, as well as um, Jenna from the Indie Corner and Sarah of the Two Sarahs podcast, and we're all sort of sitting around having a nice chat. And Patrick's coming over, um, but you go in and we take a group photo together, and and you've got the owners of the company who are kind of interacting with with everyone, and it's. And it kind of, you know, sets things off really nicely. Um, and then when you're going in to do the interviews as well, it was, it was 
kind of um I, I loved the the if anyone wants to see any of it um have a look on Benno's um Twitter feed but also have a look out for um it was the question that you'd asked Matt Riddle about selling in particular it was absolutely fascinating um seeing his responses because he's so open obviously it was funny um, wasn't it because I mean I thought past the press conference yeah, Riddle was great in open up and talking about like his approach to selling being a, a former MMA fighter as opposed to some of the the tropes that, that wrestlers do but then we also had the likes of Bad Bones coming out and he pretty much did the press conference I'd say 80% in character he let his guard yeah. down a little bit but it was a strange mix wasn't it yeah it really was um, I think Matt Riddle kind of is that character if anything though isn't he very true yeah that's that's just him all the way. I mean, he was good. I mean, and one of the people who's going to come up over the course of this pod, um, Bobby Guns came out, mm. and I think it was as soon as he came out. I think we we kind of looked at each other as like, okay, this guy's comes across like a bit of a star, mm. um, which is how he did over over the course of the of the weekend. Um, so he kind of gave sort of a really nice sort of insight. I mean, and to anyone who who goes there, the Turban Haller. I mean, God, talk about a place of that's completely different on the outside compared to the inside. <laughs> you were saying at the time, where we? I mean, we'll get into the show one now, Joe. You met us at the uh, the Turban Hollow, but it was it's kind of like uh, it looks like Wolverhampton. It's very uh, very like going to a Fight Club Pro show from the outside, isn't it? But what a venue from the inside, Joe. Uh, you'd had a, a long day travel, man. Me and JP were doing all this media stuff. Uh, what did you make of it all when you arrived and uh, and met us there at the uh, the local eatery, the uh, the Turban Hall of McDonald's? <laughs> well, it was a depressing, drizzly, grey day, like any good day in Wolverhampton. So <laughs> <laughs> anticipation was ripe based on uh, setting and weather alone. Uh, no, uh, I was in pretty good spirits just couldn't wait for the show to get underway to be honest with you uh, i was gutted i had to miss out on all the media events uh, jp managed to blag an extra day off of work mm-hmm. that i wasn't able to so unfortunately i missed the press conferences and the rest of it so to be honest i was kind of raring to go when i got there and just wanted to see see the show if anything yeah. and yeah the show didn't disappoint on any level i think it was a cracking start to the weekend um walking into the venue, what a venue. awesome setup just one of the most impressive setups out of a WWE show, probably the most impressive setup out of a WWE I've ever experienced from a live perspective, without doubt. For an indie to be pulling out this out as well, I mean, okay, it's one thing for WWE or even a TNA or I suppose Ring of Honor have got a decent setup these days, but WXW are an indie like any other, aren't they? And they've they've invested, they've invested in this high production, this really fantastic hd screens and incredible lighting um production so good that you can even when you're watching the big screens it's it's such high def that you can you can see the bogeys of keith lee's nose when he's cutting promos it's <laughs> it's just incredible isn't it that they've put this together i was just wild by it just being there in the building and you wouldn't expect it from the outside yeah the sheer amount of money they've invested in the production side of things as well must be staggering but my god has it worked for them like I think the thing that I came away thinking about most from the weekend was partly the booking and the storylines over the course of the weekend, but also the production. Like I've come out of the weekend thinking about the packages that they produced, thinking about mm-hmm. the cameras they use, thinking about the rigs in the venue, if any fit as well, like technical things that 
with other promotions, I wouldn't even wouldn't even sort of occur to me because I'm not really concentrating on that sort of thing, possibly. But you can't help but admire and kind of and be dazzled by the setup in that arena because it's seriously amazing for what mm. it is. Yeah, it is. It's just again an indie putting this together. Um, it's just really, really impressive. It's a it's an older band than Warehouse, and they've turned her into this this mecca uh, for pro wrestling. Uh, one mm. thing we'll get into is that the place was absolutely rammed as well. <clears throat> I believe it was just less than a thousand people on the first night, yep. and then over a thousand on the second night and on the third night as well. To the point that the it looks like they're going to be moving to a bigger room uh, within the complex um, for next year's tournament. So I think that tells you everything about WXW's. Uh, upwards uh, trajectory um, over the last couple of years or so um, but let's get into that night one I mean we're going to go through the, the three days we want to talk about it maybe as an experience as the weekend to give people a flavour of what it's like being out there and we'll go into detail on, on some of the big matches um, that, that kind of uh, hit home for us throughout the two days. The the first day was uh, when our absolutely stacked card full of uh, tournament first round matches um, of a of a high quality all the way through. Uh, I mean, one that that definitely uh, jumped out for me was the the opener of the night. Uh, Keith Lee and Avalanche, two two big men um, who hit hard um, and bump hard mm-hmm. as well. Avalanche kind of being a cult favourite. He was another one, JP, that we got a chance to speak to in the media centre earlier on. It seemed the mm. the, the, the travelling fans, particularly the Irish, were uh, were big into to, to Avalanche. Um, so somewhat of a surprise to see uh, Keith Lee go over him. Um, I don't know, what did you guys make of that as a call? And what did you make of Avalanche? It was definitely definitely the first time any of us have seen his live, but have you seen much of him on tape before this? I'd seen little snippets, more or less kind of trying to get somewhat up to speed with some of the, the storylines in WXW. And by all accounts, I mean, last year he was um, was really the kind of start of, of him becoming a crowd favourite. Particularly amongst the um, the Irish um, the Irish fans, he brought a flag over saying the tops off for Avalanche um, <laughs> on an on an Irish um, flag, which is great. Um, but he was uh, he was I mean really good. I mean I was really surprised by the fact he was just kind of I mean Keely's obviously one of the kind of big indie stars in the world, and Avalanche completely kept up with him a hundred percent. I wasn't surprised at seeing Keith Lee win. Um, cause I think with Avalanche, that's another one that, and it's going to be the sort of part of what we go through in the night, part of that slow burn storyline. So it wouldn't be really like them necessarily to kind of have him in there as a big star, but he kind of really, really held up his end of the bargain. He'd be a guy that you, if he turned up for an Atlas match in progress, he could really do mm. very, very well. And he's someone who would really have to see over in the UK made sense as well i think having keith lee go over because i yeah. think uh, one of the things that was really kind of vital on the last night was the david Starr storyline and david Starr not being able to beat walter you often get keith lee and walter kind of put in the same bracket as great big men great brawlers who are quite agile as well and then you've got david Starr going over on his way to the final someone who's quite similar in style to walter so you could sort of argue that it was worth putting it, putting Keith Lee in that semi-final position so David Starr could go over someone of similar size, size and stature if any fit as well. So I thought they used him as an import really effectively over the course of the weekend. Mm. Uh, Keith Lee, that is. Definitely. And there's one great moment in the match as well where they um, he just bounces Avalanche off him and Avalanche goes right, went right into the ropes oh, and, and came back in, which was... Which I remember... 
just completely sort of stuns the room for a second. Um, <laughs> it was like two immovable objects, wasn't it? I mean, there was a point as well where Avalanche just hit a body slam to Keith Lee, which is the most simple of moves, but it got a, a huge response. Just a, a perfect two guys to throw out on there first. Oh, yeah. Up next, we had uh, Chris Brooks and Alexander James. Not a lot to say on this one. This was a, a fine, short uh, opening match. Brooks had, had lost his teeth, apparently, in the Inner Circle match the night before. Um, this was his 16-carat debut. Um, but did you make a Chris Brooks uh, here and, uh, and Alexander James? Did he make much of an impression on you, being a, an American abroad tra- training with WXW? He didn't really do a lot for me all weekend, if I'm honest. Um, he was the guy in the tournament that just didn't really interest me and then when he had a match with Jonah Rock on the second night again it, it didn't do a lot for me if I'm completely honest I think everyone in the tournament on some level I was invested in or was kind of excited to see or won me over in some way but I didn't see a lot from Alexander James at all with a lot of this I thought he looked better in the Ambition tournament which I know Benno you weren't there for that one mm. um, but he had an Ambition match with Timothy Thatcher and that for me was kind of the point where he kind of that was his high point over the weekend it, was, it seemed to be where he excelled in that type of environment um but yeah he i mean i thought brooks himself had a, had a good weekend and had um and kind of looked like he was he was really on it i understand i mean he'd lost a tooth the night before at the inner circle show i thought brooks match with keith lee the next night was a much better match though oh, yeah. um i thought this was possibly the um the alexander james brooks match the most disappointing of the tournament matches not to say it was disappointing it wasn't a bad match it by any means but i thought it was possibly the weakest of the matches throughout the tournament um brooks is a bit of a an anomaly in singles i i still find um still not 100 percent sold on him um the keith lee match on night two, I thought was possibly maybe the best Brooks singles match, along with his match with Pete Dunne at the cockpit earlier this year that I've possibly seen. Um, I just find that Brooks, when he's the bigger guy in a match, which he often is, I find that's a little bit of a weak spot for him. Whereas when he's not the main man in a match and he can be a bit more of an underdog, he actually works a little bit more effectively. I just think he's hindered a little bit by his size because due to his size, uh, he kind of has to play the kind of dominant figure in a lot of his singles matches, whereas that's not necessarily his strength. He doesn't necessarily work a big man style. I almost feel like maybe he needs to be four or five inches shorter and he'd be a more effective wrestler and he'd be able to to develop his game a little bit more because he's very good at selling and he's very good at taking a beating as well. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? He is kind of that, that awkward middle room it's either you want him to put a load of muscle on he's not gonna be able to make himself any shorter so yeah maybe that's the the only solution there for, for chris brooks i mean as far as this as a match goes yeah it was probably the the non-event of, of day one as far as matches go um but yeah it, it was obvious that the chris brooks was popular at least with the german fans so it was kind of nice to to see him mark his uh his first 16 carat uh, tournament with a with a win there um we then also in the the first half of the first show another notable match I thought was uh, was Lucky Kid and Matt Seidel. Mm. Uh, Lucky Kid, someone who I'll be honest, I wasn't particularly familiar with you know, going into this tournament, um, but it kind of turned out Matt Seidel, who you know he's got a name, he's been around for a long time on the Indies. He came out with his X Division title. Um, I don't know if that's a, a good thing to do on indie shows <laughs> or not. I don't know how much uh, how much weight that carries these days, whether it's worth uh, taking through the airport or not. But it was all I was kind of surprised because Lucky Kid, who does this weird painted up uh, Great Muta inspired character, 
was much the more over of the two to the point where Seidel was I mean we get towards the end of the match Seidel's going up for a shooting star press and you can audibly hear the crowd shouting no and want lucky kid to, to get the big win um he was to be honest lucky kid a, a big part of a big thing that I took away from the weekend uh, how strong he was this weekend and uh, yeah this is a in a vacuum a, a good example of, uh, of maybe why he got so over yeah, I think he's been in a tag team, hasn't he, for the longest time. I've only yeah, ever talking as Yeah, I've only ever seen him as part of a tag team before. I'd never, mm. I'd never seen a singles mm. match of his. This is the first one I'd ever seen. This was my match of the night, mm. and I think people, um, I'm no WXW expert by any means, but it seemed like people were desperate to see him kind of break out this weekend um, and kind of have his moment, if anything. And I think going over Matt Seidel here after a great match as well mm. was kind of that moment people wanted to see him have, if anything. It seemed like Matt Seidel was kind of brought in as that credible high flyer from, in a way, sort of that previous generation of high flyers to put him over, mm. to make Lucky Kid look legitimate, to make him look good over the weekend. And even though Lucky Kid didn't go on to the final or anything, he got a big win and a memorable win, and I think he got further over as a singles wrestler as a result of this. Mm. So I thought, again, really decent booking on uh, Jacoby's part to put him over a name star, to give him that little bit of credibility as he's sort of breaking out as a single star. Absolutely, yeah. I think that it's a good good use of, of the legend. I did see some people scratching the heads of of bringing Sidell in. I think he, he was a late replacement, wasn't he, JP, for for Phoenix and Pentagon and that yeah. the Lucha Underground lot that went there. I mean, are you a fan of Sidell? I I have been in the past, but I've got to say he was probably for me one of. Although this match was great, for me it was more about Lucky Kid and less about Sidell. I thought he was a bit of a disappointment throughout the weekend. I thought much the same. I mean, it, it feels like he hasn't evolved mm. as a performer in particular, that, that it's effectively still feels like the Matt Seidel's greatest hits. And not that's not to say it's bad, but it's like there isn't necessarily any variation. Um, and I think as well when you sort of factor into, factor into it that the crowd are more enthusiastic they, for the, for the local stars as well. It's not this, it's not what, some people might imagine it to be where, you know, it's the imports that people are into, and that, which is, again, one of the themes of the weekend. Mm. It's the local stars who people are much more invested in and wanting to see go over. I mean, if Seidel had managed to go over here, it would have been, that would have been awful. It would Bad have really, decision especially after Avalanche losing, mm-hmm. um, it would have really sucked the air out of the room. And Seidel was used to just put over their guys all weekend, yeah. wasn't he? I think he took a pinfall every night and every match he was in against a homegrown guy, which I think is the way to do it. He's, like I say, he's an established name. He's kind of had his moment. I don't think he's very motivated anymore. I don't think we're going to see him do anything a great note in the wrestling business ever again. So why not use him to put over your guys and make them look good in the process? And I thought he did that all weekend, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next up, then, in the... The last tournament match of the first half, uh, just uh, another notable, I suppose, legend of the indie scene, Emil Satoshi. I don't know if you remember him, but Joe from the old, from my old tape tape days, I used to see him on Shikara and IWA Mid South shows. He was the the alternate here against David Starr, replacing the the injured Jan Simmons. Um, mm. I, I remember seeing Satoshi over in Britain for the crazy Cruiser Eight in the mid two thousands. So it's kind of cool to see him still going. Um, but again, he, he was kind of because of the injury for Jan Simmons, we lost a big match. 
match the he was supposed to be taking on David Starr in, in a grudge match and instead he, he spent most of the show didn't he JP up uh, near we were in the press pit with his with his leg up in a cast charging fans a fiver for uh, t- to for them to sign his cast that's a that's a great little uh, move yeah, really? yeah it's a great little money making move I'd say yeah, people were, were well One, happy wonderfully carny yeah that is the most carny of carny <laughs> I was enjoying that yeah um, but yeah we kind of lost that that big match and instead we got uh, Oh yeah, people yeah. definitely were. Yeah, are they all right? <laughs> <laughs> Some people are massive Yarn Seven fans. That's go. a pint of ice beer in that venue. That's five bonds right there. <laughs> that's the cheeky thing. bastard. That's the thing as well. It's not like you could take the cast home with you either. He's going to walk away with it. But uh, yeah, nice little way of making some money. Um, any any notes on this one then, Star and Satoshi? Um, n- not really. I mean, I I liked. Emil Satochi all weekend. Uh, I describe him as the hench Gary Neville. Uh, <laughs> oh, geez, like, he's the absolute ringer. He's got the Gary Neville tash down. Definitely. Oh, really definitely. Um, and it was probably given the fact that, that David Starr was working so much over the weekend. It wasn't something. And this is, you know, it was interesting. It didn't overstate its welcome by any stretch of the imagination. It, it was relatively short. But obviously Emil, Emil Satochi had been in a four way to decide who replaced Jörn Simmons, mm. and that's how he ended up in the match and, and how he was one of them. But it was it was decisive enough for Star to, Star to win. Yeah, um, I really like the use of the uh, hand-stanson lariat yeah. as well. So they got that over and established that really well, I thought, in all the Star's tournament matches leading up to the final. And in ambition, even. Yeah, yeah, because he won each of his tournament matches with it as well. So eventually, when it when it was hit in the final, it felt like a bigger moment as well. If anything, mm-hmm. so I thought that was really effective. Um, the second half, then you talked about that match not outstaying its welcome. They got a bit of uh, inspiration from progress booking as Matt Riddle beat Mack in, I would guess five seconds. I don't know what the the official time is there. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it worked well. Um, he basically Riddle hitting the same knee that he hit Trent Seven with a super strong style last last yep. year. Uh, I think it worked a little bit better with Mac, didn't it? With with the Mac being so hated, whereas with Trent Seven, it was all a bit more tongue in cheek with progress, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was partly the crowd absolutely loathed the Mac. And that tied in with the Rice storyline that went up over the weekend, where he's he's much more of John Klinger's um, protege, protege. So he was a lot more hated than some of the other members of Rise, like we mentioned, like with Lucky Kid or, or Pete Bouncer, who we'll get into on day three. Um, this this sort of was a nice shock, and it was a, it was a nice bit of variance as well um, that you perhaps would have had a crowd that had been completely warmed up and need to be kind of picked up at certain points if they'd been worn out. I should have said. Um, so when you had that, when you had the knee and the pin. And obviously then that played into uh, another match on night two as well. It was great and kind of really popped the crowd and, and everyone was it's like ended up being almost woken up again. Mm, definitely. Um, up next then we had Travis Banks and Mark Haskins. Uh, a competitive match from, from two wrestlers who, who yeah. we know quite well. Um, I enjoyed it uh, in a vacuum. It was very exhibition-y, which is kind of, I don't know, maybe what you get with Haskins sometimes. Um, what do you think? Of, I mean, Banks and Haskins, the two people we see a lot. What kind of impression do you think they made on the German crowd? It felt like Banks got over. Haskins did to an extent. Um, but I don't know if I, if you were WXW, would you be bringing these two guys back? I'd consider Travis Banks maybe as part of the CCK pack, package with Brooks. I think I think he's got more to give. I think he had a really good match with David Starr, 
as well during the tournament. Mm. Um, and they were in that six man that was really good fun on the last night as well. Haskins seemed like he was just a bit, he was good, don't get me wrong, he's always good, but he's just a bit on autopilot, I suppose, wasn't he? Look, this was a good match, but they could have this match in their sleep if they want to. They, they probably both know they've got a much better match in them, if anything. JP? Yeah, I mean, in terms of this, I thought, I mean, Haskins kind of shone more on night two, I think more than he did in um, uh, for night one here. It was, if, it was a lot more of a sprint. Um, so in that sense, it was very similar to matches we'd seen them have before. It wasn't time for him to steal the show either. No, exactly. And I think they know that. And wasn't I, I think role. they know that they're not being highlighted this weekend either. So... It worked for what it was as an opening round tournament match. To be honest, I'd like to have seen both of them against someone else. Mm, like local, um, just because it's two guys that I get to see all the time over here. So it would have been nice to see a bit of variation on the opponent. Um, maybe lucky kid Haskins. Not that the Seidel match was bad by any means. But yeah, just to get that little bit of variation would have been yeah. nice. Uh, one memorable then from the, from the first night, the penultimate match, uh, Tim Thatcher and Jonah Rock. I've never been in a crowd where Tim Thatcher has been quite so over. Um, oh, oh, yeah. He's like a he's a hometown hero at this point, isn't he? He spent so long out at WXW being part of Ring Camp and being part of their training academy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been lukewarm on Tim Thatcher in the past, but seeing him here in his element and being so over, you couldn't help but, but fall in love with him here, could you? Yeah, I think what I would say for him as well, the presentation and the way they were trying to sort of establish him as one of the main guys in for the carrot, uh, in for the tournament this weekend was great. Yeah. That video package they played before this match, I thought was absolutely amazing. I just sitting down, wasn't it? Just talking honestly to the camera, just such an, an easy thing to do, but people don't do it. Shot so nicely as well. Love the background. Love even just the way that his face was kind of highlighted. So you can see kind of the emotion and the joy on his face of being in WXW. Just subtle little things like that work really nicely. And it's the most invested I've ever been in Thatcher. I never thought he was a guy that... He's a guy I've enjoyed at times. But when I was in Brooklyn a couple of years years ago in sweltering heat watching him wrestle a 30 minute draw with drew gulag and it, it was getting booed out of the build and i thought to myself my god like this guy is so boring like he doesn't really have anything he can do stuff but jesus was he impressive here and throughout the whole weekend he was great i think what's amazing about wxw is they found a way to repackage timothy thatcher mm. and to make people care about timothy thatcher the presentation as part of ring camp is just brilliant if anything i think for me i think you saw this as well benno on the last night when him and volta were in the tag match against um klinger and the mac mm. was when thatcher was down he looked like he was out for the count and a kid started banging the mat and this kid must have been six seven years old started banging the mat and he got the entire crowd cheering for Thatcher. He got everyone around the ring cheering for Thatcher. <laughs> this is a seven-year-old kid. Yeah. If you told me two years ago, or even a year ago, that I'd see a seven-year-old kid invested in Timothy Thatcher, I wouldn't believe you. I think you're having an absolute mm. laugh. Like That, to me, was an absolute like testament to what they've done with him. They've made children <laughs> care about this guy. 
Yeah, I, absolutely. I came out the weekend absolutely loving him and having a, a new respect for for his style. Um, in this match, I mean, he went over Jonah Rock quite cleanly. Uh, the, the story of the weekend for Jonah Rock seems to be him hitting his his big top rope stuff for, and missing it um, and getting taken advantage of here, Thatcher, with an armbar. What did you make mm. of Jonah Rock? Um, haven't been hugely impressed with him in the in the Brett Res match that I've seen. He he does offer something different, being a big guy who can fly and hit high impact stuff. Um, I don't know what do you make of him. I for me, it's have, let's have a look in a year. Mm. Let's have a look in a year and, and see where he is. There was one uh, aspect of him in the weekend when it was him and CCK. And I was thinking, I'd said to you guys when we were there as well, he'd be really good as kind of an, a good enforcer mm. for CCK as something different to add to it. I mean, he turns them much more into a stable, but I like the idea of that just because they, they all seem to work quite well together for that. But like you say, this, yeah, he, he didn't really stand out necessarily. I think he's being pushed into positions that are way above his level of ability at the moment. And I think that he's in a position where the style of wrestler, the wrestler that he is, is very kind of in vogue, especially in the UK at the moment. Mm. And it all seems to be sort of about the big lads and, oh, he's a big tank and all the rest of it. And due to that, I think he's being put in positions against guys who he's kind of not anywhere close to as good as. And he won't have worked with before, either. No, and I think, yeah, give it a year, he may improve. But the positions he's getting and the matches he's getting, I've not seen him deliver on the level of the opponent in the match, if that makes sense. And he's a big guy, but as a big guy, I've not seen him really have a lot of presence and I've not seen him really uh, bring, how can I put it? I've not really seen his presence impact his matches, if that makes sense. He's just kind of there, if anything, and he's not at that next level of big guy, like say a Keith Lee or a Volta or a Jeff Cobb, if you ask me. I think that's a fair assessment. I was, again, wasn't hugely impressed with his Brit Rose matches, kind of enjoyed them, his Zack Sabre match um, he had, mm-hmm. yeah, in progress, I, I liked, didn't love it, and I was kind of expecting to be blown away here in 16 carat, but hmm, I don't know, maybe it was the fact that he seemed to lose all his matches as well, maybe that hurt as well, but yeah, yeah uh, like JP said, think, give him time. I think the most I enjoyed him over the weekend was his ambition match he had with Speedball yeah. Mike Bailey where he wrestled a slightly different style. He threw more of an, threw more of an MMA influence in there, a bit more strike-orientated, and he was a bit doing a lot more sort of stand-up as well. And I actually thought he worked really well in that environment. And I almost wondered, should he adapt his style a little bit and add a little bit of this into the style that he's wrestling? Maybe watch some uh, Emmanuel Yarberg videos and Pride <laughs> and uh, see how that works out for him. Because there definitely looked like there was something there, and it was the most I've ever enjoyed him as a performer during that ambition tournament which i wasn't expected at all before we get to today two in the ambition tournament then we had one more match on this night one uh a match that i was not looking forward to going in um a grudge match of, of sorts with absolute andy and maria salani um it was kind mm. of the default main event once they lost the david star yeah and simmons match but I was blown away. Again, you mentioned then, uh, Joe, about uh, the video package for, for Tim Thatcher. They did a similar thing here with, again, with Andy and Mario Solani, just sitting and talking into a camera and giving honest, well, on, honest feeling takes about what led to the feud, what led to Andy turning on Alani, what Alani was going to do to after Andy. And it worked because they came out here. It was a, a super heated match that went 
absolutely everywhere and yeah i was not expecting to love this one as much as i thought as i did but i think it turned into maybe my match of the night for the first night i love this and and partly as well the crowd was so invested in this and it was the first time that we had the clear heel face delineation Mm. andy's role over the weekend was the absolutely hated heel along with um bad bones really and he absolutely played up to it perfectly, and it was wild. It was, it was, it was because um, it was it was a no disqualification match. For, no, it wasn't a no disqualification match. That was originally going to be Star Simmons, That's wasn't right. it? Yeah, I was surprised he didn't. That was going to be a knockout match. Yes, but it was anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of like I mean, there was a lot of there was weapons used and cheating, but it was more Andy kind of trying to do it behind the referee's back, wasn't it? More than anything. Yeah. With the trusty wrench. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I was really impressive here as well was the use of the package again before the match. Mm -hmm. That really stood out. And as someone who's not a regular or hasn't been a regular WXW viewer, I'd seen the turn during the Tag League because I watched the Tag League or bits of the Tag League last year. So I was aware of the feud. But I thought that that package before the match was so well produced and documented their history together, their rivalry, so well that it made me instantly more invested and more interested in the match. So I think for a lot of newer fans, and I know we know a few guys who hadn't really watched any WXW before but just went over for the crack and for the weekend, wanted to see some new wrestling and have a good time, they were massively into the match. I spoke to Andy Ogden, who said he'd not really seen either of them before, and he said it was his match of a night and told me about how invested he was in the match as it was going on. So I think that really helped in educating newer fans that were in the venue as well, and are maybe watching this on the VOD. So another really good job on WXW's part, thinking about the type of person that is also watching this as well as the long-term fan, because it rewards the long-term fan who's been following the storyline, but it also educates uh the newer fan who's just tuning into this for the first time knowing that it's a big weekend one other thing i've really liked about this as well is they're thinking about how they are main eventing this big tournament with a big grudge match Mm. so this is a match people have been waiting for so rather than having uh random eight random tournament matches They've got a match that really means something, not just as a tournament match and how it impacts on the tournament, but also means something to a feud. And they also use this match to advance their feud. So this felt like it was the first of many, didn't it? Mm. And then the booking of the match, I loved how it played in yeah. to, the, to, the later, to the later matches that Andy had during the tournament. I thought that was awesome. Especially with that wonderfully screwy finish. Well, that's it, yeah. The, the, oh, it's great. The finish was... It was a low blow, wasn't it? And then a super kick from Andy, but Marius had a, had a foot uh, underneath the rope, wasn't it? Um, just to kind yep. of end end the match in a bit of controversy. And like you say, we're you know people travelling from far and wide for this show. People who might not have, have seen these two guys before and seen the development of this feud since the last tag league, but it gave everyone reason to to want to come back and want to see uh, Alani and Andy go at it again. Oh, most definitely. And I'll be following the few closely after this as well. I feel absolute Andy, who's someone who I'd seen before, but he, you know, I always thought he was decent. This weekend has won me over big time. Like, I know they've really highlighted him as well, but it's worked. I'm completely invested and really interested in where they go with absolute Andy after this point. Absolutely. So after a, a, a 10 match show then there, and, and it didn't feel like 10 matches on the night, um, we got a little bit lost after the show. We went to the, 
kind of ended up stumbling upon the the unofficial after party the gift shrank is, is that how you pronounce it yeah uh, bumped into matthew from botchamania and he split a sausage with you uh with joe a nice german breakfast <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we kind of it was kind of the presentation was they were showing old matches and i think the idea was that there was common alternate commentary going on but it, it was all in german so we were a little bit lost weren't we, we were just uh, enjoying our beers and our, and our half a german sausage and in fairness, you'd been up for 24 hours by this point. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was we had a good chat about Oz as well. That was that was <laughs> yeah. enjoyable. It's one of the highlights of a night for me. Yeah. It was, it was the one event, wasn't it? I mean, throughout the weekend and throughout the presentation of, of WXW, everything's done in a way where even the promos, if they're in German, you get English subtitles. And if they're American or English wrestlers, you get it in English, but with the German subtitles. And they make an effort to make everything bilingual. But yeah, this was the one event where I very much felt like a foreigner and my... A level uh, German didn't really uh, come come in very handy, but yeah, as JP says, I was uh, very tired as well. Um, but yeah, we moved on from there to, to day two, and as we've touched on it a few times here, uh, you guys went to the the Ambition tournament after almost thirty hours awake and uh, getting up in the middle of the night to write my my report for post. I ended up sleeping right through the bloody thing. Uh, but you two guys <laughs> were both there for, for Ambition, very. Similar, well, Tetsujin took very much a, a big influence from this from this tournament. Yeah. Um, what did you make of it compared to Tetsujin that we were at a few weeks ago, and uh, any highlights that we've uh, we've not talked about already? Well, the overall view of the tournament really is is that it was a it was a success. Uh, it was interesting because you probably had what about three hundred, let's say, there if that yeah if the maybe, maybe around that maybe four hundred max I'd say. And so there was lots more room because obviously been putting a thousand people in there so we were actually quite close up at ringside um i think it's where i don't know if that was the debut of the bobby guns chant um, oh, was it really uh, that morning it did seem quite um, loud on the vot the uh, the guns bobby guns uh, chant from the bobby, irish yep um and it was it was great and mike hilby as well um and it was it was uh so it's a really good atmosphere but it never overstayed its welcome most of the matches within the Ambition Tournament sort of lasted no more than about five minutes. Mm. Um, it was not like Tetsujin, where a lot of it felt like it was on the ground. So it felt like a lot sort of, a lot more like catch wrestling in that very traditional sense. There was a fair amount of stand-up as well, so there was some variety between them. Um, the sightlines generally at that show were, were pretty good. Everyone managed to get a good view of the ring uh, at that point. And it only lasted, is it an hour and a half in total? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was like tremendous value for what you got for the hour and a half, and it just raced its way through. Yeah, the, the longest match was probably that Riddle Volta match, which went about yeah. 10 minutes, I think, and that was the special attraction match. So the longest tournament match was probably, what, seven, eight minutes, I would have thought? Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. was really, really cool because it kept your attention as well. Um, it was a really nice part of the package. I do think Tetsujin should possibly... I know they've got a relationship with Progress because the stuff goes on demand at Progress. Mm. Glenn Joseph was at the last Tetsujin show as well. Part of Super Strong Style. I think, honestly, it should be part of the package. If they can make it work as a midday show, yeah. I think they'll get a lot more people in for it. I know they, people could say they're copying WXW. Who cares? The, for, the, the format works. Get it in as part of Super Strong Style Weekend. It, it's something else for people to do. Even if you do it after one of the Super Strong Style nights, it's better than having to go to, I don't know, bingo across the road from the Electric Ballroom, which I heard was 
terrible this year. <laughs> so I definitely think Tetsujin should maybe take a leaf out of uh, the ambition book here and see if they can get in there with progress. Definitely. Yeah, and, sorry, I was going to say as well, I mean, um, I got to speak to Chris Ridgeway, who'd um, put up a post about this. I was speak to him on the on the the Saturday on late no it was on the Sunday show he was there but not wrestling he was there he wasn't wrestling he had a um, it was a fractured jaw that he had for the weekend um, so he he wasn't wrestling on it and he brought up the point about maybe having one or two of these matches on the show sort of uh, as sort of special attractions in a standard show where you have a match that is effectively a grappling match just as something different to throw in there wouldn't necessarily need to last too long you get the impression a lot of the wrestlers enjoy doing it as well. Yeah. They really get something we, from it. You'll get up for it, don't they? I mean, I watched this back on VOD. I haven't slept through it, and like uh, I, I, I couldn't help but notice you know, people are coming out in slightly different gear, aren't they? And and treating it yeah. like well, apart from Timothy Thatcher, who changes absolutely nothing. But that's right because it's Tim Thatcher, nope. and he shouldn't change anything for a tournament like this. That fits his his character perfectly. But yeah, it, it kind of gives uh, the wrestlers a chance to experiment. And something that came up in the media interviews that we did, it was kind the wrestlers saying that well, this is something that's it's something that you should do uh, as a wrestler just to improve your fundamentals to kind of understand that that shoot style of wrestling and yeah. use it as a tool for, for for wider matches it may make you appreciate how to throw certain spots into certain matches as well and how to make spots have more meaning in certain matches as well that's certainly one of the things that was really noticeable so when David Starr threw a suplex, really had an impact. When Mike Bailey threw a kick, really had an impact. It, you didn't take moves for granted. Mm. You thought about moves. Moves registered a lot more because the style was so different to what we are used to. So you didn't have any what I would call moves-based matches. They were matches based around sort of strategy, if anything. You can argue with wrestling matches that anyway, but this seemed to highlight that even more so than your usual, um, what you would, I suppose, describe mm. as a pro wrestling match, yeah. if anything. Well, it's like the, the Walter Riddle match, which is... The attraction match of the day, that kind of sums it up, because the story of that match was Walter working over Riddle's leg, Riddle looking like he was finished, and then almost out of desperation, uh, coming back and getting quick uh, strikes to, to, to Walter, and managing to get the knockout mm. win that way, out of pure desperation. There's just something... I mean, apart from the fact that Riddle seemed to get up very quickly, uh, there's something very realistic. It's like a real fight, isn't it? It's built it in that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. One of the things I really liked about the tournament as well um, was the fact that Thatcher won it mm. because he wins it here and he wants to win 16 carat. So it's like he's going for two tournaments over the course of this weekend. But as part of the wider story, it's like he's won the League Cup, but he can't win the Champions League. That's how I sort of viewed it. He crush, crashes out of the Champions League, but he, he won the League Cup. He got his trophy, but it wasn't the trophy that he necessarily wanted more than any other trophy, even though he was happy that he won it. I thought that was quite a cool touch as well. Maybe that wasn't intentional. Maybe that was just me <laughs> kind of reading that into the story for my own personal narrative that I want to do it. But at the same time, I really like the way Thatcher or Thatcher's matches were won in a similar way as well. There was kind of this, um, what would you what would you call the submission that he used? Like a Fujiwara armbar type submission yeah. that he managed to find a way into in every match. And as soon as that was on, you knew that was it. Mm -hmm. And he kind of established that in his first match. So when we saw that in the other matches, we knew what to expect at that point in time, mm -hmm. which I thought was awesome. 
exactly. Yeah, that's it. I don't think I, I was jealous that I didn't make it there. Um, after <clears throat> ambition, I mean, the, the, this uh, wrestling party of a weekend, uh, we had another show, Wrestling Deutschland. JP, you didn't make it to this one. You were off uh, with your people watching the Island Game, was it? And uh... I was. Yeah. Well, we was meant to be on on the big screen in this bar called Three Sixty, but I didn't put it on because they had live Bundesliga on. <laughs> they just cut from match to match, just goals. But so we had about eight of us sat around uh, two phones, which were sort of going pretty down on battery as well, um, watching it watching it on the streams on that. Uh, but they won twenty eight eight, and I was completely made up about it. So so that was good. good um, yeah. But yeah, it was a very um, uh, yeah, it was a good match. But I didn't yeah, so I didn't get to see wrestling Deutschland at all. You lads did. <laughs> yeah, we did, and uh, we had it over Joe. It was a bit of a hodgepodge of a show. Um, kind of something that I'd like to see trialed in Britres again. You mentioned a super strong star weekend or uh, the DTTI weekend as. The idea is that just different promotions offer an exhibition match. Um, would, you, would you believe it? Promotions working together. I'm not sure we get that in Brit Res. Um, it was different. I'll never catch on. <laughs> the standard was definitely lower than than everything else we, we saw this weekend, but did uh, did anything stand out for you, Joe? Yeah, Josh Bode not being there. <laughs> Where was he? <laughs> yeah. Apparently he missed his flight, didn't he? he missed the, uh, there was a wrestling cult show in the morning that, uh, that some people made it to as well that, that he wasn't there for either. After the amount of times on this show we go on about why doesn't Josh Bodum get booked? Why doesn't Josh yeah. Bodum get booked? We might have some of the answer here. Yeah, that was a real shame. Uh, I didn't know until after the show or sort of towards the end of the show what had happened with that as well. Mm. So I was sort of waiting and waiting. Oh, that was after the show. I was sort of like, oh, that's it. Where's Bowden? Mm. Found out when we left the show. I was a bit gutted as a man who enjoys the work of that uh, young dickhead. <laughs> but, but at the same time, this was a bit of a laugh, really, wasn't it? Um, I wasn't paying massive attention to the matches. I was sort of just having a chat throughout each match and... Uh, that was part of it, really. It felt like a bit of a social while some wrestling was kind of going on in the background. Um, but anyway, um, there was one great moment where the Italian dream reversed a shooting star press into a co-breaker. That was my favourite move of the entire weekend. This was the three-way, wasn't it, with Chris Jochik and uh, Senza Volto. Apologies if I've pronounced any of those names wrong. That's the match that uh, that Bowden was supposed to be in, wasn't it? Um, it was, yeah. Yeah, that was incredible. I stood next to Alan Farrell during that big spot, and he was going crazy. Uh, there was a point as well where, was it Volto who got stuck in the ropes? Uh, one of them did anyway. He was kind of going to, to skin the cat and just got a little bit stuck. It was a good uh, example, maybe, of uh, what this show was. Uh, big high, like like this match particularly, big high spots and and maybe some in- unintentional comedy in there as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> what I found really interesting as well was the the match that was representing WXW. <laughs> the guys in there, much better bodies, much better ring gear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like as soon as WXW had a match, it was like, oh, this is different. Like you could sort of tell they're on a different level to everyone else. Not just in Germany. Not just in Europe, you could argue any indie in the world at this point, I think. And that was another kind of minor representation of it, if anything. Well, one other note, I suppose, from there, we'll just go through this briefly. The the Schwinger Club uh, impressed me as well. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, they all came out dressed a bit like Party Marty, um, with their big, big fair jackets on. Do you think there's a future for the, the Swinger Club? Do you think, can you see them getting booked over here, Joe? Over here, Joe, that was uh, Brent Rogers, Gareth Noen, and Rich Baxter. Apparently they're the names. I'm uh, cheating off cage match. 
Nah, can't. <laughs> so it's quite an easy gimmick to kind of just put together over here with similar talent, to be honest. I don't think they're going to be worth the flying fees, <laughs> as cheap as Ryanair sales are occasionally. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So, yeah. No disrespect to them. <laughs> Not a particularly notable show. The main event was Michael Knight beating Ivan Kiev, who's a WXW guy who's, who looked impressive uh, throughout the weekend. Um, but yeah, just a, like a nice bonus, uh, fun uh, show there to kind of fill a few hours. So after yeah the the fun of uh, of uh, wrestling Deutschland we we headed up for, for night two of, of sixteen carat the started the show uh, not particularly hot with a shotgun TV taping that had uh, session Moth Martina and Barry Scott in probably oh, Jesus. the worst match of the weekend uh, not Martina's fault uh, we also had a, a multi team tag match uh, as well to to crown Demark and Ivan Kiev as as alleged number one contenders that'll come into play a little bit later later on the show as we talk in in detail about a match uh, further up in the card but the first uh, match of import on on day two was in the 16 carat tournament keith lee and chris brooks uh another strong match and another uh, strong win for keith lee uh this is the match where, where chris brooks took maybe the most ridiculous spirit bomb uh, bump that that you'll absolutely that you'll ever see anywhere um and, and another match where with a good example of kind of Keith Lee is mm. the alleged big man, and he is, he's huge, but going to, to Joe's point, it's always a little bit weird when Chris Brooks is just a bit taller, uh, but kind of has to cower as there's the weaker man to the to the big man, Keith Lee. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He, um, although, it, I don't know, for me it worked. I was, there were some nice sort of almost comedic spots at the start, I think, with um, Brooks getting on, uh, getting on uh, Keith Lee's back. Trying to put a sleep hold on him, Keith Lee just sort of stood there, just completely no selling it. Um, yeah, it was a strange dynamic, but for me, it, it was Brooks's best sort of singles performance that I'd seen from him in a in a couple of months um, that I'd seen in the flesh. So it worked for me for that. And like you say about the spirit bomb, that was up there with the kind of Ishi spirit bomb <laughs> as well when it when he when he pulled him up for that. Um, it worked. It. it it didn't overstay its welcome. It was fine for what it was. Yeah, yeah no, most definitely. And I basically said it earlier on, but I really thought Chris Brooks was good in this match. I think that he yeah. can sell nicely. I think that he can take offense quite well and make his opponent look good. And I think he gets quite a lot of sympathy on himself as an underdog baby face. Uh, Pete Dunn match eventually at the cockpit was the best probably performance I've seen from Chris Brooks the match before. Like I said previously, if he was five inches shorter, he'd be a great underdog babyface. Well, it was interesting because um, your brother Joe said uh, for this night that they saw like the appeal he had with some of the female fans who were in the audience there as well, oh, yeah, who only yeah. their interest completely like jumped up the moment that, that um, Chris Brooks was in, and then kind of sank again. I reckon it's that sexy CCK merch. If anything, yeah, it really is. <laughs> Yeah, something to be said for the for the way uh, you market yourself. And uh, Chris Brooks is absolutely a genius. There was plenty of uh, German fans oh, out yeah. there with a CCK merch on. Um, another memorable match then from night two was uh, again um, a quarter final in sixteen carat. Tim Thatcher and Lucky Kid, two men who, who got hugely over as we just talked about with day one uh, throughout mm-hmm. the weekend. Both hugely popular, and the the crowd was kind of split down the middle here. This was probably 
it again up there with one of my favourite matches of the weekend with the story kind of being Thatcher attempting to stretch Lucky Kid and teach him a bit of a, a wrestling lesson almost I mean the big thing about Tim Thatcher is his facials isn't it and just the way he looked at Lucky Kid disgusted at this painted up freak using his mind games and kind of weird high impact <laughs> offence to stay in it this was something that, that could have been like a, a culture clash or a styles clash but I thought it, it really worked well and we kind of got one of the stronger matches of the tournament Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, this was the set my, my second favourite match of the night. Um, it was interesting because obviously it played into the Ring Camp Rise meta storyline that goes on within WXW as well. Um, there were some really good counters within the match from um, from Lucky Kid, um, especially the one that was uh, Thatcher was going for a superplex and he ended up hitting a Liger bomb out of it. Um, and that was that was great, um, but yeah, he, he kind of completely uh, impressed at this point. I mean, he didn't lose anything by by losing to Thatcher, um, and it played also into the storyline of Rise, the the Rise members being sort of cut off one by one in the sense that the Mac had gone, and then Lucky Kid. Um, so it kind of was a nice way of sort of adding a bit of vulnerability to rise as a group and i mean we haven't gone into necessarily a lot of the dynamics that exist within them as a faction um for anyone who's completely uninitiated to them they they have an interesting dynamic where they there's a lot of these interpersonal relationships that exist within it mm. so they're much more like a kind of training stable a, la, a sort of japanese stable that you might find where they're not all necessarily best friends there's sort of little pockets of the group who get on closer with others so here you had Tarkan aslan trying to interfere as well um yeah just really enjoyed it and enjoyed every bit i saw of lucky kid over the weekend would you say i mean joe uh, lucky kid do you think he's someone who could fit into brit res is there is there an avenue could you see him maybe getting booked by by promotions over here because he's definitely a name that a lot of people uh, went home talking about yeah i'd love to see him over um i think based on what he did this weekend hopefully based on the hype that the tournament's got people will be tuning in the uk as well so i'm hoping that will get booked over at some point soon. Mm. Um, wonder whether he would need to come over as part of Rise. I don't know if Rise would work. If he comes over with uh, Aslan particularly, mm. maybe he could get over as part of a tag team or as part of a package in some way. I'm not sure. I know WXW have got the Dome show coming up soon. There's a bit of a crossover with Progress on that show, so I don't know whether um, that would be an opportunity to get him at the ballroom the next day if they're looking for someone maybe be cool to see him over here because i'd like to see him break out a little bit more because he's definitely got the ability because he was he was kind of one of the stars of the weekend if anything he was someone like i said i didn't have any expectation for and by the by the end of the first day i was kind of raving about the guy um, another match then on the show, not a hugely notable match, David Starr beat Travis Banks to kind of k- continue on his story. Uh, the story here, though, was after after losing, Travis Banks getting on the mic and announcing mm. as, in his role as Progress Champion that Progress would be coming for, to Germany for shows in Hamburg, Oberhausen and Frankfurt. Um, what do you make of that, Progress? They seem to be uh, getting around a lot and uh, kind of they're in about five different countries i think announced so far this year it's uh interesting they've got this this relationship with wxw and they're going to be putting these shows on 
Well, the difference between the two promotions, I think, is paramount. When you look at WXW and the infrastructure at WXW, the the amount of employees, the employees that work are primarily on production as well and work full time on production. And you look at the production values and compare it to progress. I think progress needs to employ more people if anything surely if they can run Wembley and they can pay the higher cost for Wembley they got a decent bit of cash um maybe spend it on production rather than going to Wembley and put more production and put more money into a smaller venue perhaps like maybe make Ali Pally a little bit more impressive add what needs to go in there to make it a more impressive production mm. overall because comparing the two companies this weekend WXW blow progress out of the water and I'm sure progress would say that I think I've seen them sort of mention how WXW are the most impressive indie out there before and yeah I think they're kind of maybe riding on the coattails of WXW a little bit by coming over for those shows but at the same time I'm sure there's a decent following for the promotion in Germany I thought the shows were going to be joint shows but they're kind of a double shot over both days aren't they if anything mm. so I wonder how they're going to kind of differentiate the shows as well during that time but yeah I think if anything there are a lot of lessons for a company like Progress to Learn also the way WXW engage fans as well and treat fans and and kind of value um, fans as well. Progress will claim to value fans. They value fans who make them look good and fans who have an agenda that will also make the promotion look good in the grander scheme of things. They don't value any form of criticism. One of the things that was uh, really good about this weekend was when I was chatting to Patrick, the media guy, and he said that the promotion had no problem with any form of criticism and any form of review. If they're being spoken about in some way, they see that as a positive because they said the positive reviews will probably balance out the negative reviews as well i haven't seen any negative reviews come out if progress employed just a little bit of that attitude rather than having a massive ego and a chip on their shoulder about any form of criticism they may still have fans like us on board and still have fans like us wanting to go to their shows and wanting to be enthusiastic about them so i think that wxw could teach progress a thing or two over that weekend i'd like to see jacoby and briley have a good sit down and jacoby educate briley and how to deal with people <laughs> Um, JP. If, if I can just add on a couple of points onto that, and how to follow it, um, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, was, uh, this is again following on from something that, that Joe has just said in terms of the production aspect as well. It's considering the screens that they have, and for anyone who's seen this on the VOD, you'll know exactly what I mean because that's like WWE level screens. And if you're going to be running a show at Wembley, for example, that is the kind of expectation I think that you need to be going for is that kind of level of production value. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's going to be matches with WXW wrestlers and, and, and in progress over those cards because I think there's an interesting dynamic. I think it would freshen up a lot of the progress roster. Um which which could be probably which be a bit need. of trial for some of those guys, like maybe yeah. a lucky kid that weekend. I think. Yeah, I think I, I think so. I think it would add something different. I think it would add an entirely different flavour. I'm not saying anything like invasion angles or whatnot, but that would be interesting to kind of tie them into the into the progress universe. Um, and also as well, I mean, it's the faith that WXW have in these long long-form story storylines storylines that last years when i say storylines a lot of them are just effectively the ups and down journeys that wrestlers go through when working their way up from being young lions 
up into being a fully fledged part of the roster. And they're layered as well. There are subtle things that are considered and thought about, and they seem to peak things at the right time, if anything. Um, and that's what I thought was really great about the promotion. They didn't seem to kind of blow their load on the Andy Alani stuff this weekend. They put stuff in place to advance the storyline, to advance that storyline, but also to advance Andy's storyline as a bit of a bastard, really, and as a cheat who kind of cheated his way to victory over the course of the weekend while screwing his former tag partner. I thought that was great, but they didn't have Alani play too much of a part over the rest of the weekend. He got involved a little bit, but at the same time, you know there's going to be more to come from this storyline as well. Whereas you feel, you look at progress this year, and they've absolutely run through and ruined TK Cooper, Travis Banks, and Chris Brooks in the space of a couple of months when they had two hot feuds there that could have taken them through maybe a year if they paced it correctly so i think the booking and the thought that goes into that booking and maybe because they've employed more people and it gives the likes of jacoby more chance to think about how the shows are booked how they're laid out it just benefits them that little bit i just feel like progress uh, running a lot of shows they're overworked and they've not employed anyone new as they've grown, it seems, to actually help with that load. So, yeah, I wonder whether um, more concise booking is something that could could benefit progress, if anything. Maybe uh, being over in Germany, uh, some of it will uh, it'll rub off. Uh, I guess we'll see how that uh, that relationship progresses. Uh, go ahead, JP. Pat, what do, you, what do you make of the relationship between them, Benno? I think that- and, and how it can work. I mean, it, it clearly should be obviously really beneficial to both companies i think it's a good move because i think both the two i mean progress are the biggest company in the uk wxw being the biggest company in germany there's definitely uh, benefits to what they can do there uh, i did notice when the announcement was made there were lots of fans in the crowd jumping up and down that uh, the progress were coming to germany it's it's a promotion that when we do review shows like this or if you talk to americans online or people from uh, central mm. europe progress is is the uk company that the people tend to talk about so yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's an interesting one. I think it'll benefit. Uh, I think it'll benefit WXW. I think having having these shows, it gives a say. This was a weekend they did every year. It's a nice little destination weekend. Um, although, yeah, I, I am a, like Joe said, a little bit cautious about the fact that the progress are doing so many of these types of weekends and and going abroad so much. They do seem very overstretched right now, and this is yet another thing. But yeah, I suppose it on goes uh, good progress and the march towards what feels like they're trying to go for some form of global domination. Um, but hmm. again, I don't know if you can really do that with uh, with the with the skeleton staff the progress have got. Probably be as far as Paul will let them go, if anything, won't it? <laughs> there is that. Um, I was going to say as well, one other thing as well, that I reckon Progress should be employing these graphics guys on a pro rata basis or on an hourly pay or a, for a job, on a commission basis, because these graphics all weekend were absolutely phenomenal. Like, just look so professional. They're WWE level, above that even. And... I think little things like that would really benefit the the appearance of the look of the company. When I see Matt Riddle's uh, mouth guard graphic come up on the screen at the ballroom, it looks embarrassing and it looks cheap. Whereas these graphics or weekend that are on the screen for these wrestlers look professional, they look slick, they look absolutely top notch. And it's that sort of thing that I think will benefit any promotion who want to use video graphics in some way. Because if they do look cheap, you kind of you're going to judge them for it, aren't you? It's it's obvious. Whereas 
when you see the level that WXW are employing here, you think to yourself, right, these guys should be working everywhere if they can. I don't know what their workload is in WXW, but if there's any any work going in England, I think we should be employing these guys immediately. Definitely. Uh, moving on, then you mentioned Riddle, uh, the, the other quarterfinal mm. match of the night, Absolute Andy. Uh, uh, beat Riddle, another match that you would kind of look at as a, a Styles clash on site. But again, it continued the story of <laughs> Absolute Andy kind of winning me over. They did the, the tease of uh, Riddle winning with the running knee in a few seconds this time. Andy's foot being under the second rope himself and the referee actually catching it. I love that little, you mentioned just then, Joe, about the, the storytelling that the WXW do. I love that little subtle jab at the, the ongoing feud with, uh, with Mario Solani. Um, again, surprising win though. I, I kind of... Th- Riddle is, I suppose, the guest foreigner, but I don't think anybody saw uh, Absolute Andy going as far as he eventually did in the tournament. But in the moment, uh, I was definitely shocked by this one. Uh, any notes from you two guys? The um, the F5 off the second uh, Was it the F5 he used off the second yeah, rope yeah, so, yeah. to win it? was just absolutely unbelievable, the way that Riddle bounced across the ring. Um, and the And the opening. With the um, going for the five. Ah, oh, the opening was great. Going for the knee, everyone thinking that he's beating Andy in in six seconds. Um, like it just seemed like such a ballsy move to do it two nights in a row, and for absolute Andy to pay for cheating the night before, only for him to screw us over <laughs> by <laughs> by putting his <laughs> leg on, on the rope after the count. Yeah, you don't see it on the VOD. It looks tremendous. Uh, just great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. Like layered storytelling that kind of permeates throughout the weekend, if anything. So really good stuff. Definitely. And I don't think Riddle loses much here. He lost from a no. kind of got crotched on the top rope and F five off the second. So yeah, they did they did the best to to protect Riddle there. But yeah, a hometown boy uh, going through it in absolute Andy. Um. The last couple of notes then from from day two, we had uh, three title matches at the the end of the evening. The first was Bobby Guns and Speedball Mike Bailey uh, for the shotgun title. There was this was one you mentioned the VOD. I didn't really notice in, in person. I was oh. I think this one you guys were up in the press area and I was stood on the floor and I could tell yeah. that that Mike Bailey was. was getting his hand worked over by Bobby Guns, but I couldn't quite see the length that they were going to. Guns literally using... Is he double-jointed, Mike Bailey? Cause yeah, Guns, he's got to be, hasn't Guns he? Guns yeah. literally pulling his finger all the way back and then taping it to the back of his wrist. It was his... seen Marty do sounds. something similar. Yeah. Sorry, I was gonna, I've seen Marty Skull do something similar to him before. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think, was it at the was it at the cockpit? No, it was at uh, York Hall show once. York Hall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was down on the floor for this one, so I was basic. You can basically see me stood at the ring watching this one. So seeing that hand stuff up close was pretty sick, to be honest. Like, it, I, I kind of had to look away quite a lot because I was so close to it. Like, it was horrible. But at the same time, I think Bobby Guns. We spoke about Lucky Kid coming out of the, this weekend as a star. I think Bobby Guns is as big a star as him coming out of this weekend, to be honest with you. And I think the Irish lot, who were amazing all weekend, those Irish fans are a top group of fans, I've got to say, and really added to the atmosphere. Um, but there are a few Brits, and uh, Brother Mort was in there as well. I think you, yeah. you being one of the Brits. Yeah. Well, yeah, technically. In your <laughs> eyes, not my heart, though. You haven't got your Irish passport yet, mate. No, that is on its way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that um, Bobby Guns, I think we're desperate to see over in the UK or over an OTT at some point after this weekend. Definitely. There's just something about him coming out to Robot Rock and gyrating and smoking his cigarette. He's just he's got a charisma there, hasn't he? And he's he's starting to look like the finished article because he's he's no slouch in ring either. 
Um, yeah, I can't wait to see him coming out of a vape in the UK. <laughs> That's it. He's going to be uh, hamstrung by our, uh, our, our pub uh, smoking laws. I don't know how they're going to get around that one, but yeah, maybe a vape would be a good idea. He could lend one off JP. Yeah, exactly. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, another one of the title matches on the second night. We won't go into it in too much detail, but it's an opportunity to talk about Tony Storm. She uh, beat Melanie Gray to retain her title. Mm. It was a, a good hard-hitting back-and-forth match. It got a little bit lost in the shuffle in the in the talk about night two, based on what come straight after it. Uh, it was a good little match with them fighting over uh, the pile driver and, and Tony Storm eventually winning. Tony mm. Storm, who came out to a uh, limp biscuit, was it break stuff? Um, oh, that's the so random. Uh, what did you make of seeing Tony Storm here in WXW, and what did you make of Melanie Gray? Oh, she's awesome. I think she's the best female that we've got regularly working in Europe at this point. Um, she, I think she's a level above most of the girls working in um, most of the UK promotions. To be honest with you, I often find, and people just don't say it, and I don't think they want to say it. Um, the women's match is often the weakest match in the show, especially in 2018. I've been a lot of shows this year, but I've just not been impressed with the level of the work from the female wrestlers. Don't know if that's the position they've been put in or what. But this was really good. I've really enjoyed this match. It was hard hitting. Tony Storm's strikes are awesome. Like she really lays it in. They're convincing. They look like they hurt at the same time, but they look like they hurt in the context of a wrestling match. They look like they actually hurt. And I thought her and Melanie Gray would never see before really click this was a really really good title match again nice little package at the beginning as well to get both of the girls over before the match which i thought was really effective because i knew nothing about the story or the history between them as well and a really nice match just really easy going good lead into the main event i thought and i, I just i want to see tony storm in more storylines in the UK because it feels like she comes in for random matches and there's something there with her, but I just don't think she's sort of reached her full potential in any of the UK promotions that I've seen her in. I think that's fair. I mean, Belly Gray, somebody you could bring over and maybe strengthen some yeah. divisions. I thought, I mean, I don't know about you, JP. I thought she she had a good show and I kind of liked it. There was a production note, wasn't there, from uh, Jacoby, Christian Jacoby, who said that when uh, Melanie Gray comes out, they kind of they turn the heat down in the building to make it colder, to kind of stimulate a, an extra sense. Um, that's just a brilliant that's just typical of wxw isn't it and how much they put into yes. production. um i mean but yeah bells and whistles aside i thought she looked uh, quite strong here as well were you impressed jp have you seen much of her in the past no i haven't seen much of her in the past uh, at all and was really impressed um just a different dynamic i mean sometimes it feels like it's it's the same crew of of um women wrestlers that are sort of working with each other and it's nice to have a break from it. It's nice not to see Ginny for a for a show. Yeah, um, it and was those horrible strikes. Um, and here it was it was really intense. It kind of fit in with the theme of the show of the the sort of intense battle going on. And while it wasn't as much of obviously as a blood feud as some of the other matches that had gone on over the weekend, there was a really nice level of intensity that was going on. And Tony Storm looked looked really good. Um, also to say as well, just in case we don't end up covering it as much, um, Killer Kelly and Vesna in the match the night afterwards as well. That I thought they they looked really good between them. Um, there's there's a nice level of intensity. And I know she's over for the next chapter show that Progress are running on um, on Sunday. Um, uh, we sorry a week on Sunday. So that's that's interesting as well i mean it, it, she's got a great look killer yeah. kelly as well hasn't she and she seems to actually incorporate that mma style yes quite effectively whereas we, i think we've seen that from a few people who haven't really actually 
they've tried to go for the look, but they've not incorporated the style so much. Mm. And I think she's got it really sort of down pat. Just from that one match we've seen of hers, I thought mm. that. Definitely. Whereas here, Melanie Gray, kind of really arrogant, bullying type heel, worked perfectly. Shall we get into the main event then, guys? Um, this is... Yeah. The main event was advertised as... A singles match between Walter and John Klinger. It was advertised as the biggest match in WXW history. Uh, something I'd forgotten that, that Joe, you had to pick me up on and remind me that was uh, Walter had previously run the right to name a stipulation in this match. Uh, he got on the microphone before the match, announced that it would be a three-way dance, and out came, uh, out came Dragunov to the absolute loudest reaction i think i've I've ever heard live in a building i thought when walter came out in the first place i mean this was again being billed as this big singles match between walter and john Klinger. the place was already electric walter being you know the the big uh home promotion hero coming out but it was just eclipsed um when those familiar russian tones kind of hit and and dragonov came out it was just absolutely incredible and an absolute spectacle to, to be there live at it was just i got swept into it i was jumping up and down on the spot i don't know about you guys oh completely and you know i've probably seen less than 10 dragon of matches before i don't think i've ever been so invested in one guy who i've seen so little of on one night it was absolutely incredible like if you weren't kind of taken in by this atmosphere then stop watching wrestling to be honest with you because Mm. this was something else this was one of the greatest things i think i've ever seen live as a fan yeah um like i've not seen it back on the vod but the energy in the room and the response it's got got to be the loudest pop i've ever heard at an indie show ever it was ridiculous people sort of sort of shaking in front of me i saw tears from a couple of people it was absolutely mental the response this got like some booking to get this to to, ah, sorry like some booking to book this as your secret main event and for people not to even really speculate this over the weekend like i thought dragonov was going to be there but for this to happen oh they pulled off an absolute masterstroke i've heard stories from uh, like they they got Ilya into the building under like kind of cloak and dagger and they were making sure that none of the wrestlers were looking when they brought him in and making sure only a small number of people knew about it and yeah we were there you know being there all weekend i didn't really hear anyone speculate that this is what the the stipulation could be that he could get added to the match and it just made it all the sweeter didn't it it was just again just an absolutely incredible scene to to, to be a part of and just yeah one of the probably it'll be struggle to to top that this year at any point or anywhere in wrestling yeah there's going to be um it's going to be interesting for those people who didn't go who obviously will have heard about the hype and will have seen the video the wxw pull out which actually has its theme music in it and kevin owens ended up retweeting it um and, and had a and had a point to say in it which i thought was really interesting i'm glad they've done that that they put the video up on youtube with the full entrance and the full yeah. music because that's kind of a it's a talking point, isn't it, with WXW? They, they, when they put stuff on demands, they dub over all the music. Mm-hmm. I believe German laws are far more complex, even more, even more complex than, than putting copyright and music on you know, VOD in Britain. Um, so you do kind of lose that a little bit. Um, if, when you watch the VOD back, you can kind of see people jumping around in the crowd, but you can't hear it. But yeah, I'd, I'd implore anybody to, to go and check the, uh, the YouTube video out of it. 
Um, I think the entrances in this match in general, I know we didn't really go over it when we got into the match, but I think the production level for the entrances, so Bad Bones having a live band play into the ring and doing the whole Rise entrance. We haven't spoke about the Rise entrance. That Rise entrance has got to be one of the best entrances in the whole of wrestling. I think it's mm. awesome. The way they stand, the way they position themselves, the way they kind of look like this great unit, the gear they wear as well. The merch is awesome. Um, it looks they look like a football team they're in like a football team tracksuit it doesn't look kind of cheesy they look like a bunch of professionals who are kind of committed to what they're doing but they also look like a bunch of dickheads as well <laughs> in it so, so like Demac reminds me of like um what's his name kevin prince botang is that the name of the ex-spurs ac milan guy i'm thinking is, yeah. of yeah. Is, yeah um jerome botang's brother like i just get like echoes of him when I see him in this dickish tracksuit like really works well and that band playing Bad Bones in awesome atmosphere sort of reminded me of Triple H and Motorhead at Wrestlemania if anything I think that's yeah. probably what they were sort of had in mind yeah, to be honest for, with you he? but and it just oh, go it just adds that importance to the match as yeah. well it makes it seem like that bigger event Bad Bones is like chief dickhead isn't he of the Rise group he's just he was great you know after his entrance and yeah. he comes out as this big deal when Ilya comes out he's like you can like I remember I was just staring at him live as he's just just got this look of shock on his face and he's just playing up how, how big a moment it is he's got like a he's got a quiet charisma hasn't he Bad Bones we, we bumped it yes. we talked to him a little bit at the media centre didn't we JP and we saw him in yeah. McDonald's after the show as well suited and booted um, he's kind of got that he, he's, he's like he's not the tallest guy in the world but he's built and he's got kind of that quiet, tough guy charisma going for him, that kind of Taz charisma going for him. And he was, it just, yeah, a, it's a great one. It's a yeah. perfect heel to have in this three way match, wasn't he? Absolutely. Without him, the dynamic wouldn't ne- wouldn't really be working if it was like a surprise challenger for Volta, let's say, for for argument's sake. But you kind of needed to have him in there because it kind of, you've got these three storylines going on between layers all of these guys. Yeah. Exactly. Which, which helps play into it these are the three top guys and that this is what you this is what you want to hear um there was i mean one of the things i'd say is for this match i was stood with uh shauna the grinch who was absolutely like she for anyone who who would know she's got the best boo in british wrestling (laughs) um she absolutely lost it when Ilya came out there was two wrestlers in the world i think she loves more than any other and it's Ilya and david star so she had the sort of full gamut of emotions over the weekend. But seeing the kind of almost purity and reaction um, of somebody in floods of tears, shaking uncontrollably and completely invested throughout the match, like everybody else around there, they were just completely focused in on that match. There was no other distractions. It wasn't a case of, oh, I'll go and get a beer while the crowd are, are into something or anything. No one was going anywhere during that. Um, yeah, and it was... Th- in terms of wrestling matches I've seen live, I can't think of anything else that felt bigger than that. I, the only pop I could imagine that would have felt somewhat similar would have been perhaps when Dahlia and TK came back in progress, but I wasn't there for that, um, so I didn't hear it, and I, and I would almost struggle to think that anything could surpass this. But it was kind of the emotion of it all. Like you said, there were people... There were plenty of people crying in the stands throughout the match. People were so invested because you had all those layers of story. You had Walter and Ilya kind of uh, 
bringing up memories of 16 Carat last year with Walter lighting up Dragunov's chest. And you had, again, we mentioned Klinger, his role in this match, just being there as the foil to, to both men and eventually, you know, taking the, the pin from the, the Torpedo Moscow. It was just perfection, I think. I, I mean, Joe, I know you're not usually a, a fan of triple threat matches, are you? Did this one turn you at all? Because <laughs> I think they did it as, as well as you could possibly do it. Yeah, I was trying to think of great triple threat matches, and I can't remember a triple threat match that I was invested in quite on the level of this one, to be honest with you, or as interested in. I think the layers of storytelling, again, that existed in this were amazing. The dynamic that each of the wrestlers had, what they represented as well, was completely different from one another. You've got uh, Bad Bones, who's kind of this... uh, horrible heel who's looked down upon by the whole promotion and the fans of the promotion you've got walter who's kind of the homegrown kind of um gatekeeper of wxw if anything and then you've got Ilya dragunov who's the kind of young charismatic upstart with a really sympathetic story and i thought they played their roles to absolute perfection um in terms of bad bones as well you said about his charisma he's got like this weird brooding charisma as well like he appears to be bigger than he actually is when you get up close to him. It's really odd. And I thought here as well, he played a great sort of foil as well. And he was the kind of the party pooper at points. So like when they were playing off of last year with uh, Volta and Dragunov chopping the shit out of one another again and people getting really into that chop battle, there's bad bones turning up to kind of spoil things and get involved. Um, getting in, getting in front of both of these guys who everyone wants to see wrestle again. Here's this guy who everyone wants to just get rid of and who everyone wants to see lose this belt. So I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Um, I hope Bapos gets the credit he deserves it because Walter and Dragunov seem like the two guys, but really the kind of fashionable over guys and bad bone seems like he's a little bit you know less cool if anything but man he was awesome all weekend the thought and he was absolutely brilliant from the entrance right up until he took that pinfall at the end of the match here i thought if you don't have him as the heel you don't have him as like the anti-walter as the disgrace to everything that walter's trying to make wxw you, the story just doesn't work this well you don't have people shedding tears you don't have strangers hugging and people dancing out onto the streets after the the end of the match um it's the fact that you've got these three men all playing their role so well and wxw just telling a great story as well i mean you get rewarded as we mentioned earlier with wxw for following a story like this with being so invested in it um it it makes for it's all worth it when you get to to see a big moment like this and i i can't imagine anybody uh, left night two without a a huge smile on the face yeah, most definitely. I think Dragonov as well was seriously impressive. First time seeing the guy live, and fuck me, what a time to see him mm. as well. Like, his intensity, I don't know if I've ever seen someone so intense live who's, who channels that intensity in the right way. Like, I find Mark Haskins is very intense, but Dragonov, the way he moves as well, reminded me of Mark Haskins. He felt like a motivated, more intense, more kind of... Uh, channeled and kind of honed in Mark Haskins with a genuine storyline, if anything, to me at times during this. It, it was amazing to see. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I'll ever see anything as kind of emotional or as gratifying as this live ever again. And if I don't, that's fine because this was fucking awesome. <laughs> Any uh, final takes on it, JP, before we move to, to the after party in night three? 
now I just would implore everyone to see the video of his entrance and to, to watch it on the VOD because um, it was genuinely incredible. Love that burning hammer. Yep. Oh, such a good burning Alan hammer. Alan Farrell's call on the commentary as well, burning hammer and sickle, just perfect. Um, oh, yeah, was, sweet. I, I mean, as much as I enjoyed this thing live, watching it back on the VOD, there's just something about the enthusiasm of that man that just takes <laughs> things to another level. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Does it lose anything on the VOD? I'd say no, no. It's still great. Um, awesome. I think, I mean... I'm not going to watch... Oh, go on. I'm not going to watch it for a while. I always try and let the live memory kind of, um, you know, seep in before I go back and watch stuff usually. Yeah. So it'll probably be a few... Probably the summer I'll watch. I'll rewatch this when I've got a bit more time on my hands. Um, but yeah, I was kind of worried about watching this back because I sort of thought to myself, oh, God, is it going to be as good like through not being there like but i'm glad to hear that it does actually yeah not lose anything translates i wouldn't call it a five-star match um and i wouldn't have called it that in the building either it's a perfectly work match with everyone playing the role ideally and genuine emotion and crowd response maybe that's the 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 three-way dance bias coming in sneaking in from me as well um was there any party maybe a little bit disappointed we didn't get the singles match with with bad bones and uh (laughs) uh, walter i mean this is i mean i wouldn't want to admit to it but i was kind of a little bit disappointed that we didn't get it um although yeah i think it was this three-way their storylines are so good that you have faith in them to kind of factor because we'll get it eventually won't we? we'll get it elsewhere that's the yeah the brilliance of this we book. will get it exactly and there's a dynamic between the three of them as well so whichever direction you go in you have that plus also there are now after this weekend other people you can put into that main event mix mm. who now have the credibility of it as well that their world title situation is pretty stacked Mm. I've got to say, uh, yeah, Benno, it was interesting when you actually said that on the Saturday after the show, and we all sort of said, yeah, even though we were wrapped up in it, we all sort of had the same little thought as well at the beginning, because I was thinking to myself, God, this is about as close as I'll ever see like a Kabashi Masawa match live, or, you know, like the two pillars of the promotion, the two guys, sort of Walter with that similar All Japan influence style. And then Dragonov came out, and it was still awesome. But that little thought went through my head. But as soon as the match started, it went completely. <laughs> and yeah, I think it was definitely worth the the sacrifice of. We kind of lost the biggest match in WXW history and got a replacement. Biggest match in WXW history, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can't be uh, can't be too uh, spoiled. We then, uh, after the show then, guys, we headed to the, the after party for night two, the, the famed uh, after party where there's karaoke going on and, and all kinds. It's uh, kind of in a side room of of the, the Turban Hall. It's like a, it's the merch area usually during the show and then they booted us all out for an hour and then led us back into this, this party zone. It's got quite the reput- reputation, the after party. I had a, a nice time uh, chatting to some of her. Some of the people that we see at shows in, in Britain and some people I hadn't... Jamesy, for example, uh, I hadn't seen him since Ring of Honor in 2006 when you split a, uh, a hostel with him, uh, Joe. It's been a been a long time since I've yeah. seen him. It's <laughs> nice to catch up with him, talk to Chris Linney and a few other people. It wasn't as yeah. crazy as I've heard stories of the after party, but it was uh, certainly a nice little uh, thing to have in the weekend, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I mean Ilya Dragunov singing Backstreet's Back on the karaoke <laughs> is, a, is a sight. Um, is that kind of like his version of Phil Brown singing when he kept Hull up? Yeah, 
in celebration, yeah. maybe. He I don't think Billy Dragon knows who Phil Brown is, I'd really. Be so. I don't know if many of our listeners do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was, it was nice. Yeah, like I said, that they had the karaoke on the go. Um, they had Yearn Simmons regaling tales to a few people in the background, and kind of it was, it was, it was good fun. I mean, it's, it's a long day. Mm. And it'd been a long day for for all of us. That didn't stop us staying there till near five o'clock, though. Um, completely wrecked when we got back. I think one of the best talking points from that entire night, to be honest with you, I wasn't doing a lot of partying. I was having a big chat about old Rover. Um, but one of the things I didn't realise was the the lengths that the Irish that we spent a lot of time with uh, go to to track down and find out who is Rover. Like, where seriously, where are they, Rover? And some of the Rover kind of sightings and uh, potential rover kind of uh, spots ott shows were just great really hearing some of those anecdotes from a few of the guys there and <laughs> what they've done to try and discover rover was hilarious <laughs> people shouting rover at ott shows i thought was great uh, <laughs> just hoping someone's gonna turn around he's a a legend of the internet is uh, is old uh, roby Oh, yeah, and some of the stories that were debunked that we'd heard about him on the weekend as well were great to hear as well. So the legend of Rover lives on. <laughs> Let's never find out. Keep it pure. Um, after then, the after party, we headed to McDonald's again. I feel like my body's still recovering from sp- basically where the uh, turban holler is, the, the only real places you can go. There's a kebab van, there's a McDonald's, and there's a Burger King, and that's it, really. So we spent another- Didn't Keith Lee have two kebabs? Yeah. Like, did he just buy two kebabs and demolish, apparently? I heard legend of it. Uh, I spent most of my weekend having various hot dogs in Burger King and McDonald's, <laughs> just because I was so impressed that they had hot dogs. Um, but yeah, I think we spent far too much time in that McDonald's looking at that big order board with order 104 that nobody ever came and collectors with us trying to remember our rudimentary German and know which order was ours when it got called out. It was, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a big part of, uh, of heading out to Oberhaus and I think spending a lot of time there. Does that system work? Is that more effective than counter service? Because I thought I spent longer waiting my food than I would do a bit of counter service. The, the McDonald's machines. I think it's yeah. maybe it's the fact that we're abroad. See, this is the analysis people listen to this podcast for. I think in in the UK, I feel, I feel like I'm quicker hitting the buttons on the machine. Whereas there, I didn't really know where everything was. I was trying to put custom. I was trying to put jalapenos on my hot dogs. I probably made it more of a, a, a job for myself, to be honest. Plus the fact that again they were calling out numbers in German and we were having to count on our fingers whether we it was us or not. Yeah, true. But I, I don't know. I, I just thought to myself. I don't know, I liked the old system where you see the burgers sliding down the, uh, you know, the little, uh, like, slides you got at the back there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was missing. They were sort of throwing them through this, like, it wasn't even a hole, it was just a gap mm. between, like, bits at the back, if anything. And then you could see your food there and you were thinking, when, when's my food coming? It's a bloody eternity for them yeah. to call your number. <laughs> I can't imagine, I mean, if, if you're a vegan there, you're pretty screwed. <laughs> Chips. To say. Yeah, you, yeah, chips. That's basically it. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Because there really isn't, isn't much else. Although the burgers in McDonald's there do genuinely look like the photos. Hey, did, that was, did they uh, come out on a nice paint. platter as well? They're nicely uh, put oh. out. Like you say, they, they do look very much like the photo. The Germans know how to do a good McDonald's. Ah, they do. I saw uh, Andy Ogden's long chicken, though, and that looked like a long chicken you'd get back home, to be honest with you. It wasn't presented as well as the McDonald's burgers were in Burger King, I'll say that. 
Not good, not good. <laughs> uh, moving on then, for, after uh, another McDonald's uh, and a good sleep, we, we got back for the to the Turbine Hollow for the last time for, for night three. It was an earlier start. Uh, again, we won't go into to every match on the show, but we'll go into the important stuff, mainly the tournament stuff. We started with David Starr and Keith Lee with David Starr, beating Keith Lee to continue his quest towards a uh, 16-carat victory. This was another, I mean, we've talked at length about uh, some of the great matches over these three days, but this was another memorable one for me, mainly just because it was typical wrestling big man, little man story with kind of mm-hmm. star narrowly surviving the, the impact offensively. You mentioned earlier on the podcast, Joe, it was kind of Keith Lee almost being a surrogate Walter um, and it being a similar story to the, the story that David Starr tells in, in those classic matches with Keith Lee. Uh, any uh, big uh, standout moments from this one for either of you two guys? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this was carrying on the, and we haven't really talked as much about David Starr mm. um, super, as we have some other people. Super popular in the Hall. Yeah, I thought he grew throughout the tournament, though. Yeah. So really, it was this night that he peaked on, wasn't it? If yeah. It was his night. If, if the night before was all about, well, initially Walter and ba- Walter and Bad Bones and eventually Ilya Dragunov, this third night was, was the story of David Starr, who's had a long-running story within WXW, um, in his feud against Walter about not sort of being able to win the big one and having to slay these giants along the way um, and that his relative lack of size is the thing that, that ultimately ends up costing him in matches. So you had that really interesting dynamic here where, where Lee is kind was kind of like that last kind of big guy step that he would have thought of to try and get through to, to win 16 carat and then go on and challenge Walter. And that's what kind of everyone assumed for the weekend that, that's what they were going to go with. Um, and this match, um, really good. Obviously, you know, David Saw had a much longer match later on in that night. Um, but it was, it was, I really enjoyed it. They had a really good dynamic together. The way when at the end of the match, the way that sort of Keith Lee was, um, was being sung to as well. Um, I mean, that was, yeah, that was absolutely great. I think it, it um, felt like a genuine emotional moment, didn't it? It was like after after yeah. losing Keith Lee was just kind of slumped over in the ring as the the loudest uh, basking his glory chance came came about from the German fans. Did you did you read anything into it? Because it was kind of like almost I wouldn't say a goodbye for Keith Lee. I mean, this is his, I believe his first WXW weekender, but the the rumors are prevalent, aren't they, about him uh, potentially leaving the Indies and going to WWE? He seemed uh, generally uh, cut up from the the emotion and the response that he got from the WXW crowd. Um, the last, yeah, I don't know what's going on with Keith Lee. Um, if he does go to WWE, I think he's got a chance. I definitely think he's got a unique form of charisma that could put him over the top. Mm-hmm. I hope that they don't try and run with him just as a comedy act because he is a funny bloke. He has got a funny charisma as well. He's got a goofy charisma, but he's got something. He's got it going on, if you ask me. He's one of the best big men out there today, and he could be something truly special if they want him to be something special. Um, what I was going to say about this match... Mm personally is i loved the last minute or so of the match so the ground zero that chris brooks took the night before was kind of here again with a little bit more added oomph so david Starr bumped for it even bigger than brooks did the night before and brooks took some bump for it the night before but 
from what I remember, did Star roll out of the ring because of the impact of it, or did he kick out of it? I can't remember what happened exactly. Um, do either of you guys remember? It was a near fall, yeah. It was kind of... It was a near yeah, fall, right. Yeah, got a huge response. Then I, lo- I absolutely love that ending where Keith Lee was going for the ground zero and Star put it into that Canadian destroyer. Oh, it looked yeah. amazing. It's like an impact kind of, like, lucky, here's my chance finisher. Desperation. I thought it worked. Oh, it was so good. It was such a good ending. I didn't think Lee lost anything from it. The star at the same time looked looked great going through here, managing to beat a guy of this size. It's kind of spot I'd love to see him play off in the Walter match, mm. if they can at some point. Oh. They can fit something like that in there. Can you imagine mm. Walter taking a Canadian destroyer? That would be some sight. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> I, I, I can't, but him attempting to do one on Walter when he's in a similar position, maybe. Something cool they could work in there, possibly. Definitely. Uh, the other semi-final then was uh, Absolute Andy making his way through to the final in a scenario no one would have called. He beat Tim Thatcher in a match where everyone I spoke to on the day, including you guys, we all just thought it was a given that Tim Thatcher was going to the final. Um, mm. But again, I, mean, I get Absolute Andy, somebody I wasn't expecting to, to walk away, so impressed by. And him and Tim Thatcher was just, it was another match where two very different styles, Tim Thatcher's trying to win the match clean with all manner of submissions and Absolute Andy is just being this absolute dick and trying to cheat his way through using a hammer as a weapon, trying to introduce his large wrench again, uh, getting a visual pin on Thatcher from using that, that wrench. Um, just great. I mean, again, if you're going to have a clash of styles, this, I mean, Thatcher just seems to be able to work with anyone with people like this, like Absolute Andy, you wouldn't imagine would be a match made in heaven for him, actually turned out to be so. Yeah, really great dynamic. And again, Andy playing entirely up to the fact that he is this dickhead heel who um, will do absolutely anything to win, which completely puts him at odds with um, the ring cave mentality. You know, the ring is the ring is sacred. Um, it, it really worked as well as that dynamic. Like you say, Thatcher being able to work with anyone. Because mm. um, how many different types of match? How many different types of wrestlers was he was he with over the weekend? When you look back on it, including then ambition as well. Mm. I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty incredible. And then he was in another match later on that night. But um, the way that Andy, you know, it was even though he hadn't cheated to win, they did the um, the finish where he'd he'd applied the sleeper hold and then rolled back on him for the pin. I really enjoyed that. I mean, completely shocked the audience because again, we'd all expected it to be David Starr, Timothy Thatcher. So anything that wasn't that seemed like a you know real surprise. Definitely. Um, moving on then, the the. Elsewhere on the card, we got a couple of multi-band matches with uh, with people who had crashed out of the tournament. But the next, um, I suppose, big story uh, of the night was, I suppose, a surprise one. A match that uh, even 24 hours before, you would never imagine you were going to see Ilya Dragunov and Matt Riddle. Uh, Matt Riddle coming out and doing an open challenge. And Dragunov, I assume from his promo, couldn't understand what he was saying. But I think he, him being fighting champion was offering Matt Riddle a title match and and we got one here um, again a big surprise and and two people whose styles just complement each other perfectly don't mm. they uh, what did you make of this one I think we had the two most charismatic men of the weekend in a match together here it seemed like a real natural matchup to make as well mm. and I thought this was a real <laughs> real sort of reward as a little bonus match it's a match that you know you wouldn't have even thought of or considered before the start of the weekend 
but at the same time, it made total sense as a matchup mm. as well. But when Riddle came out and said, like, oh, will someone come out and challenge me? I did not expect Dragon to come out. It didn't even occur no. to me. So when he came out again, another rapturous response. Like, mm. this was a match that I really wanted to see that I had no idea. I really mm. wanted to see until it happened, really. And it was a really fun match. I thought it was one of the better, ma- better non-tournament matches of the weekend that we got to see. Definitely. Yeah, the finish was great as well. Just Riddle trying to go for his running knee and getting hit with just a, a perfectly timed torpedo in Moscow. Um, Dragunov looks a touch smaller, I would say, for, than he looked previously. I know I heard a couple of people say that uh, live, um, but he's certainly not lost a step, has he, as far as the in-ring goes. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see who they put him up against uh, going forward. Um one other big story then from the night, uh, Tim Thatcher, we mentioned earlier, all the different people he'd, he'd, mm. he'd taken on. Uh, we also found him in a, in a tag title match as well. Another big story of the night, JP, you talked about the rise uh, difficulties and the different uh, relationships between the different members. Uh, we got John Klinger and uh, and Demac uh, taking the tag belts off Walter and Tim Thatcher. Uh, mm. Played right into the story with, I think it was the night before, Ivan Kiev had, had won this title shot with Demac and uh, earlier on in the night uh, uh, they came out and challenged Walter to, to have it on this night and Walter kind of put Thatcher in a bit of a position. Lots of story going on here. Thatcher being put in the title defence when he'd already fought in, in two tournaments already this weekend and, and John Klinger placing himself uh, on the on the, the winning side and teaming up with Demac um, and taking Ivan Kiev's place. It was just mm. excellent layered storytelling here. A decent match that had a, a bit of miscommunication with the referee making a the referee and the timekeeper um, kind of having a miscommunication between themselves and the bell ringing early, which hurt it as a match. But JP, uh, this match was as much about what happened uh, between the bells as it was uh, what happened after the match. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, now for a long time coming, they've been teasing on on shotgun and particularly that Pete Bouncer, who has such a ridiculous physique. Mm. Um, I mean, he's the kind of guy you could imagine WWE looking at and thinking, yes, let's get him in. Has has exactly that kind of look. And for a long time, it's been sort of teasing dissension within the ranks and his rela- strained relationship with John Klinger. So after the match, when they'd won the... Um, uh, when they'd won the title, he had him DDT him to an absolutely massive ovation. Um, and then he rolled out of the ring. They kind of teased that Ivan Kiev was possibly going to go with him, and then they went back to the back. So you've now got bad bones in in this kind of different dynamic, um, which again, storyline wise, I wasn't exactly well up with all of this beforehand. But it was incredibly easy to pick up. Mm. It's not like it, you know, there's no language. It doesn't feel like there's a language barrier. It's just simple wrestling booking 101, really done done to absolute simplicity. And what would normally be another kind of rather faceless stable in professional wrestling has all these different elements to it that are going on, and it, it's fantastic. Definitely. Uh, Joe, what did you make of it all? It was a kind of multi-layered story with this big rise turn happening and then after the match we had Walter taking the mic and thanking Tim Thatcher for his work at ring camp and Thatcher appearing to wave goodbye to the WXW crowd uh, with an Alfreda saying and and leaving Um, that was a genuinely emotional moment as well it's kind of they were just hitting you from from all angles here here, weren't they and uh, grabbing uh, every possible emotion 
uh, the whole weekend was kind of an emotional, multi-layered roller coaster, if anything, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, which just made it even more of a, you know, even more engaging ups and downs. and know what to expect next. So it wasn't necessarily about the match. It was all about the stories that went on around the match as well. Mm. The match was almost like, you know, window dressing for those storylines that went on. And it worked really effectively yeah. to advance several stories that are going on in the promotion right now. Love the tension between Rise. Love the way they built it. Love the whole stuff with Kiev and Bouncer. Like, two guys I've hardly seen before. But again, really interesting the story and where they go with this. And the kind of divide in the group with Damak and uh, Klinger obviously seeming like they are the dickheads of the group <laughs> and the other guys have that little bit of goodwill. But again, this faction is made of all homegrown guys, all German, well, I'd say all German guys, all guys who wrestle regularly in WXW as their home promotion which is great to see as well. Mm. Like really, really um, great testament to the quality of the booking and the investment from the fans here. And not just fans who are at every show, fans who have travelled over and have been watching WXW on demand, as invested as anyone in this. The response of this got at the end, the response bouncer got, the response Kiev was mm. getting awesome. Like flawless booking, I thought. Absolutely. Uh, that takes us into then the the main event, um, absolute Andy and David Starr being a a final for Carrick Gold, as we said earlier that you, you might not have expected. David Starr is kind of the the nearly man in WXW, and that story uh, continues here. The match was a a lot of him fighting from underneath with the vast majority of the crowd cheering for him. Although there was a, it felt like there was two or three people just starting Andy chants and then getting drowned out by the rest of the crowd, which made for just an electric atmosphere um, and a, a nice little duel within the crowd there. Um, I thought, as a match, I've heard people in the building criticise a little bit because David Starr kicked out at a, out of a lot towards the end. But I don't know if you if you can't do that in you know, the final of your big tournament. <laughs> when can you do it? Really, I had no problem. I with think it. there's a reason that people are picking up on that that we possibly know though, and I think that might be based on what certain wrestlers may have said to people over the course of the weekend Mm. so i'm not going to buy into that too much i'm absolutely fine with the way the match built the way the match ended i think if they're trying to put star over as this kind of underdog challenger who you know can really really take a beat and really take some punishment does it not make sense for him to be kicking out of all of this stuff Mm. in a way in a match of this stature that's meant to be arguably the biggest match of the year in WXW each year. So I didn't have a problem with that at all. I thought it worked quite nicely as a part of the story, if anything. Um, and it showed what it took to beat David Starr. And it took a match that, uh, sorry, a match, a move that we'd not seen absolute Andy hit all weekend as well. In the so A-class. Yeah, so A-class. He, had, he had to pull something else out of his arsenal. He tried everything that he'd used that weekend, including that F5 that beat Riddle. And it didn't work. And I thought David Starr looked amazing here. I think it's going to build his underdog storyline even further. Um, David Starr's babyface charisma and selling throughout this I thought was phenomenal. It's the, possibly the best performance I've seen from Starr in a match. Personally, I preferred it to both of the Walter, I've seen two or three of Walter, the Walter matches he's had. I think I preferred it to those matches. Those are great matches. I don't know if it's because I was there in the building that I preferred this, but Star's performance was absolutely phenomenal, I thought. And that's not to discredit absolute Andy, who I think 
played his role to perfection all weekend. Mm. And this heel character has been kind of furthered and legitimized at the same time while becoming more dastardly over the course of the weekend. So again, perfect way to come out of this stars positioned to go forward from here with his storyline about not being able to win the big one. He can keep trying. And Andy comes out of this looking more credible and looking like more of a bastard going further into that Alani feud, I imagine. Yeah, they even played that into it, didn't they, with Alani coming out and mm-hmm. pulling the, uh, the the big wrench uh, out of absolute Andy's uh, hands at one point in the match, just for one of the many uh, near falls of the match. It was just perfect storytelling. And I don't know, JP, again, although this was a bit of a, a downer, the, the big heel winning the match, we got our big positive moment the night before, didn't we? So we we can't complain too much. No, exactly. It was a journey. Mm. And he, you had the incredible highs of the night before to what were the lows of the final and not getting what you want, and that's fine. And I think that's that's good to make that unpopular decision, and partly because they have that goodwill built up with the rest of the storylines they've done. You, you have faith in them that it makes sense. And it's, and it's not like Andy's not a deserving winner of it. It's, it, like Joe said, it legitimizes him. This is now someone who <clears throat> was this time last, last year had only just had the split. Um, you've, with Marius Alani in A4, you've now got possible d- dynamic where he's going to be challenging for the title. You could see him even getting the title and having a run with Marius Alani. Marius Alani's involvement in that. I mean, you've got so much going away from it. And again, like I think of Star as like almost one of their homegrown guys. He's there so much and been such a big focal point of the stories. It's like his home promotion. Really, it, it? it really, it really does feel like that. Um, you've got so many of their own guys in the top mix and it's the way they've used the imports over the weekend to build up the guys who are going to be doing the shows all around the country. All the little shows they go to, they're the, they're the people who are going to be on those tours. And it's it's an absolute testament to it. And it was so dramatic. And, and I felt at the time, my instant reaction was they, they it, he had kicked out of too much. But then in retrospect, thinking back on it, it, it made sense. And like you say, when are you going to do it other than that time? Yeah. That's it. And it kind of helped build into that story. His stories it's a wrestling tragedy, isn't it? It's kind of just mm. he's the nearly man of WXW and he just And we never get we never get those storylines enough, no, do we? No. They do the sad ending really well, don't they, in WXW? That's like a, a strength. They've, they've got no problem with kind of yeah they give you the happy ending every now and then, but they've got no problem with giving you an ending like this, or at least a you know, it's a step on the way to maybe maybe a happy ending at the end of the road, but it's not guaranteed, is it? exactly i mean they're doing these these levels of storytelling which are kind of akin if you want to give it a a very poor television analogy if you're going to be influenced by something it's only really new japan who do these kind of storylines that last for this element of time where if you look at the way someone like hiroki goto is booked in new japan and omega and naito in terms of having these real kind of long-form story arcs um, it, it's Ibushi. it's like you're being in. It's basically like you've got a choice between WWE booking, which I would say is rather akin to say Mrs. Brown's boys, and then you have WXW booking and New Japan booking, which feels much more like The Wire. <laughs> so, yeah, Mrs. Brown's boys may be more popular and more people watch it, but it sure as fuck ain't better. <laughs> 
And you're not going to get rewarded in the same way, I don't think, are no, you? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're going to do the story, and uh, other promotions are going to find it difficult to run these kind of storylines as well because they haven't got that base of local guys who are going to be like their guys. So even if they lose one or two of them, they're enough to kind of step into the mix. And I don't think in Britain we have that. We also have the complications of of the associated promotions who wrestlers are connected with which kind of means that you you do have a lesser base to kind of work with those those long form storylines but if you can do them that it's definitely the way forward i mean we see this with you know mark andrews eddie dennis now which is you know really the only kind of example of that i can think that's uh, and that's kind of been lucked into as well mm. hasn't it? it you know i don't know if they'd planned it out in the thorough manner that these storylines had obviously been planned and plotted like they're plotted like as jp said with the comparison to the wire like great pieces of television drama and this is the stuff that i think has been missing from a lot of wrestling uh that i consume in a good while really so it was great to be even though we were there just for the weekend, it was great to be rewarded, even though we were jumping in at, at different points to a lot of other fans, but it was great to feel the reward and to see those storylines advanced, and it made me want to start watching WXW and making time to watch WXW on a more regular basis. And that's the, probably the highest compliment you can pay. It's The only other promotion I can think of that do similar at the moment is New Japan. Um, again, you're... With WXW, you just you're rewarded for paying attention. You're rewarded for being that fan who, who pays attention to the story beats, and and you're still rewarded for being that fan who, who parachutes in and sees the big matches. Um, that's fine too. That's what you get out of a weekend like this, don't you? So, yeah, it's just uh, again, we might have been bribed a little bit with the with the free meal at the start of the weekend, JP. But we've got. <laughs> uh, it, I'm hard pressed to say much negative about the shows over the over the three days. There was. Just so much good stuff, so much good storytelling, so many good matches, and we came away as well, you know, with the likes of, of Bobby Guns and and uh, a few of the other WXW homegrown guys, came away with, you know, a much uh, higher appreciation of those guys as well, so I do feel like we, we kind of got to see the promotion at its best. Yeah, and I feel invested and interested in these homegrown guys as well that I'd seen so little of before I went over, which is, you know, a testament to the booking and the talent and the presentation in that venue as well. And I just think maybe the fans as well and the way that the fans that weekend were so invested and so wanting to have a good time that these guys were made into stars. Think of Bobby Guns if he didn't have that chant. I'm sure it was the Irish guy who just started the Guns, Bobby Guns chant up. They wanted that guy to be a star at the end of this weekend, and he came out of the weekend a star. Lucky kid. So I think it's that again. Lucky kid as well. Yeah, exactly. I think the fans at this at the these shows were some of the best fans I've ever been around. Um, it's some of the best crowds I've ever been a part of as well. Like there was no counterproductive rubbish. Everything was encouraging. There weren't fans trying to get themselves over by, by making smart ass comments during the shows either, which I find we often get a lot of Brit indies now as well. Everyone was so invested and so into the guys and so respectful of those in the ring. But it was all about the wrestling. And if there were chants, they were chants that added to the atmosphere and gave the matches something as well. And I just think this is the best crowd that I've ever been a part of. Definitely. And I think we did our part as well. You mentioned the Irish lads and the British lads, like the likes of the Ogden starting chants that I don't think the, uh, the German fans had, had quite heard before us or a couple of times Germans come over and just ask, what are you saying there? What are you chanting? Um, I think that it'd be great if uh, some of that carries on in WXW. Uh, oh yeah. And then people forward. were basically thanking them afterwards <laughs> saying they brought the atmosphere. They were 
were great for the atmosphere of the the, the, the show. Amazing. And, you know, that's really cool to see that the Ogden uh, style of humour can transfer to a German audience as well. <laughs> um, I mean, from there, just to wrap up the night, we... We headed out and we went to the Alex, which is a, a restaurant I believe Alan Farrell went to the first time nine years ago. I heard him say in his fantastic po- podcast on the Torch. I definitely recommend anybody uh, subscribes to to check him out there. But he was saying that nine years ago he he went and it was just him and one other guy. Uh, and this time we all went for a meal after the last show and there was at least forty of us in the restaurant altogether between mm. uh, the UK, the Irish, and a couple of other nationalities as well. That just just tells you how. how good this where the mouth is spread about how good uh, WXW is uh, the likes of Arn and, uh, and Ollie Court uh, from Voices of Wrestling slash Post have, have been over for a couple of years now and they've been spreading the word and, and obviously we're going to continue to do so as well it's just it's fascinating to see this grow and I, I don't know about you guys but I'll certainly be returning absolutely and I've got good reason never to go to Oberhausen again <laughs> but but I definitely will be going back. I mean, it's it's an absolutely phenomenal atmosphere. And it was done in a way, just on a level of, of professionalism, mm. that was done in a way that, that I think loads of companies around the world could take a lesson from and sort of see how are they doing this, where are they investing it, whether it's the fact that they have their training facility in their house which with the ring downstairs and the fact that they're able to train, um, they're able to train there as well. Cause it's clearly they've got a hell of a roster. Yeah. There was everything about it. it was just an amazing weekend. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, there was no, uh, better juxtaposition than we headed home after back to our airbnb after the show oh. and we went to a petrol oh. station bought some beers jp you got a huge can of what was the beer fax 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 can of fax used to sell it in asda years ago can't <laughs> find it over anymore so yeah mark's out when i saw a can of fax <laughs> we collected some beers and we headed back to watch fast lane on the network uh, oh, bit of a come Mrs. down. Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> it was definitely my, uh, it was my idea, and then we sat there, and I couldn't pay attention to any of it because I've been spoiled by all this great wrestling the uh, three days prior. Yeah, it felt like it was like, oh god, this is boring. <laughs> it really did, and it's like it was never, you know, just watching. You telling me you didn't enjoy the Bludgeon Brothers beatdown of a new day in the East? How Sun? long did it last for? <laughs> And how, long was, did it, oh. how long did it take for him to get out of the arena as well? <laughs> Sell it. Sell that beating. Oh, God. It was it was just tiresome. I, I nodded off in the main event. <laughs> Spilt beer down you, didn't you? No, I didn't, amazingly well, enough. I, did I managed job. to hold onto the can while sleeping. It was quite impressive. <laughs> I came home with... Uh, we had plenty of German beer while we were there. We were a little bit limited being in the turban howler the whole time, but I, uh, yeah. I came home with about... They have the, a bon or token system for buying beer, and I've got at least 15 euros where it's still here. So Same if, if that's not an excuse to go back, I don't know what is. Wow. It'd be rude not to use them, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Any uh, final thoughts on Oberhausen, on WXW, or on the trip as a whole? I think you've everyone should go. And I think go and experience it firsthand. Because one of the things you're not going to get is with the entrance music, like we mentioned earlier on, but being there live to kind of be there for it and witness the production on the level. And it's going to be... Overall, there's going to be, what, an extra 1,500 tickets sold for next year's with going into the capacity in next door. It, it's It's got to be like that must 
go-to destination for wrestling. Yeah, this is the best weekend I've ever had watching wrestling. I think and I've had a lot of those style, mm. a lot of those weekends. I've been to a few manias before, not for a long time. Um, had, had an absolutely amazing time, but this may have topped uh, those mania weekends I've been to, like. The last two Super Strong Stars I've been to had an incredible time. I had a great weekend. This tops both of those, like, easily. Like, this was something else. This really mm. was. Definitely, definitely. Um, can't really say it any more than that. I'd, I'd echo your thoughts. I'd highly recommend any fan uh, makes the trip out to Oberhausen next year or later in the year for the Tag League. And I'd recommend anyone who hasn't, who's gotten this far in the show, to check out all three of these shows as they, uh, they land on WXW streaming service, WXW Now. Uh, before we get out of here then, guys, uh, where can the good people find you on Twitter? I just wanted to say before we go as well, thank you to Patrick, who was in charge of the uh, media all weekend and is the guy we dealt with. He was our point of contact all weekend. Mm. He's incredibly, incredibly accommodating, really laid back, really cool guy. Great to meet him this weekend. And yeah, thanks for being so cool all weekend with us. The man deserves Um, a raise for dealing with the likes of us. Incredible job. Well and truly. Well and truly, and being so generous all weekend, it was just, it was great. Um, anyway, <laughs> I digress. You can find me at Lemsip4Ps. And you can find me at JPJP3Es. And you can find me on Twitter at BensonRichardE. Um, keep an eye on the Indie Corner. We'll be back soon. We'll have a, a show at the end of the month. Uh, covering the next progress chapter um but also just keep an eye on the feed because there might be a couple of uh, bonus shows that pop in in the meantime thanks and we'll catch you again soon bye Auf Wiedersehen. Do you Joe's uh, real ale of the week? Oh, do it now. Do you want to do it now? Yeah, let's do okay. it. I'll edit it in. Uh, what shall I say? Joe's beer corner. Okay. I'll do it. I'll let... Beer corner with Benno. Let me, let me do this. Let me... I'll, I'm doing presented by Graps and Claps. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, before we go then, Joe, we've uh, got one quick segment that we're going to do uh, before we go. You're a man who, who likes his, uh, his craft beer. Um, what was your uh, beer of the weekend uh, for WXW? Oh, my beer of the weekend would absolutely have to be the Krombacher Wiesen. Mm. An absolutely fine beer, smooth, consistent, lovely head on that as well. They were pouring out of bottles in the Turbine Haller all weekend. The technique that they pour that with, unbelievable. I'll tell you what, this is worlds apart to being served a can of Carlsberg at the Starworks. This was different level. 
fine cultured beer at a great price. <laughs> Did it leave you with a with a frothy top on your piss afterwards, Joe? <laughs> oh, it's, my piss has been steaming all weekend as a result of that frothy top on that on that vision. With a Carlsberg, that would be going straight to my head. So Fight Club Pro is going straight to my head. The Turbine Haller, oh, there's a lovely coating to my piss in the weeks after. No issue with that. Brilliant. Well, uh, yeah, me and uh, me and JP will be at the uh, Dream Tag Team Invitational in a few weeks. Uh, that'll be one of our podcasts coming up, so we'll have to uh, check in and see what the beer is there. But I'm guessing it's uh, not going to be much better than that. Uh, yeah, probably shocking there to be honest with you. Yeah. I can't unless unless the NEC decides an upgrade. But then, I've got to say, big commercial venues like Ali Pally couldn't get a good beer there last year. Shocking stuff. <laughs> I don't know where to... <laughs> say it again. That was great. I don't know where I'm going to slice that. <laughs>